the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think, and that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah, if you look, that is your job. Yeah. Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, April 18th, 2022. Thank you for joining me right there. That's Mika Brzezinski saying the quiet part out loud, as we like to say. That's just, it. I mean, I don't even know if she realizes that anymore. That's the second time she said that. The first time was quite a while ago. But I, you know, there's a part of me that wants that wants to think that they just want to say it, so that you hear it, so you know that's what we're you're supposed to listen to what we say. But I'm not sure. Either way, let's be real about what she just said. It's our job to tell people how to think, or our people our our job to control what people think. In however way you frame this, it's incredible that they're not really upset about information or misinformation or it's about them not having control over that information. And even from a Zeke, a a Mika Brzezinski level, which the reason I say her name is because that's Zbigniew Brzezinski's daughter, a central player in the entire Middle East policy and pretty much everything we're talking about here in regard to how we've seen this play out from the war on terror to the biosecurity state. I, I mean, it's just, I don't know why anybody would trust these people, but it's interesting to see that they're, and th- that clip for the context was around, of course, Elon Musk, which I don't think is as important as many people are making it. I think it was more of a hollow discussion, whether or not he bought it, whether or not he invested. It just, it, it, it showed a lack of understanding about what even somebody in that position is even actually able to do. You don't just get to come in and just start making things change. It's possible, sure, but there's a lot more than that. Anyway, that they're upset. Of course, the partisan framing was that, well, that, you know, he's trying to come in and take control of Twitter and he'll control what you think. And it's weird because doesn't that even then doesn't not even hype, not even partially that outright says that's what Twitter does now. And he wants to control that, but they just skip right over that as well. He wants to do it so he can control you. Would that suggest that Twitter's doing that now? And then she goes to say, but that's our job, which says on the face of it, that that's what we're doing. It, the, the reason I want to open with this clip is because of how important this is in the context of what's happening in Ukraine, COVID-19, just anything that they're manipulating you about, which at this point kind of seems like everything, doesn't it? There's a great article by Caitlin Johnstone we're going to point at. I really love referencing her, especially her work around a certain, a, a few, many contexts, but th- because we don't agree on everything. I mean, there's a lot during COVID that we didn't agree on, but I still have always felt that she, I believe quite strongly that she is doing what she believes is right. And stand and sticking to her guns, and I respect that a lot. And have keeping an open mind, even during COVID, I watched her her perspe- perception evolve. Not even to suggest that we're right, they're wrong, or whatever. But anybody that's willing to do that, I have great respect for. So I'm going to get. In, I'm going to start with an article she wrote today, and give kind of lay the groundwork or the overarching point for the whole show today, which is that we're being manipulated, and this is transitioned from the kind of manipulation we saw before or at least what we were able to see into 
saying the quiet part out loud. Or they're just basically saying, we're lying to you because Russia bad. And if you don't help us lie because Russia bad, then you're a Russia bad guy. It's pretty juvenile. And I mean, that's pretty much what the argument is. So we'll get into why that is important for everything else. But we're also going to talk about some other really important topics today in regard to, first of all, like what happened to that chemical attack? <laughs> it's weird how that just kind of was like, it happened. And then everyone's like, we're not sure. And then just quiet. A week later, huh? Uh, that that screams a lot of interesting things, especially since they're still saying it happened and the media and the government's like, Shh, quiet, like we don't want to talk about that yet. Or whatever the reasoning is, it makes no sense because we've seen just allegations of far more serious things or even far less serious things, I mean, taken at face value and screamed about for weeks. And this is just, it's very interesting. I don't think they have full control over what's happening there, quite honestly. But then we're also going to talk about the nuclear threat because this is a really important topic for a lot of people. I would argue that people that are more, maybe regular watchers of this show might be a little more skeptical about whether, first of all, that's even on the table in regard to Russia's perspective or whether this is just a psyop. You know, there's a lot of different things that I don't think this is a genuine conversation other than potentially the extremists on the ground in Ukraine using them to fake a false flag or create the context for more to happen. And that same argument I would make in any context, whether it's Russia or Ukraine or the U.S., it's always the people with nothing to lose. The extremists that have been radicalized in the ground that are being used by the outside forces or the CIA or however you want to frame it. And I mean it that way. But in this context, the idea or any context that Russia or the United States or these leading groups would use nuclear weapons is just even if drive it into action is just ridiculous to me. For a lot of reasons, but I won't get into that in depth today. I want to point out how this conversation is concerning because of the point I said first and lay out the information for those that are interested or rather really concerned about whether this is possible that tomorrow, the next day, a week from now, that nuclear weapons might actually play a role in what's happening, whether by the extremists on the ground or by one of these state players and why that is really concerning. I mean, we should all be concerned about that, but there's more of a fine point that I'm going to put on it today so you can see what really is happening and not just Zelensky yelling about things that nobody can prove that he doesn't even know whether or not they just go, Russia does these things, therefore we should all be scared about nuclear weapons. It's pretty ridiculous. And it's about the fear and keeping things moving. And we're also going to talk about the word genocide and how it's being framed about how it's only genocide when it's over there, right? Or as I said, the title, it's only propaganda when they lie. We're lying for good things, though, even though we're lying to you about things you care about. It has nothing to do with them, but we're lying for freedom, though. So just shut up. That's pretty much what we're being told today. And if you don't lie with them or pretend that lie is truth, well, you're a bad, dangerous person. I mean, we've gotten to this really crazy level of this psychological war, and it's on you. The war is on you. It always has been. The genocide discussion is interesting because they're discussing why the word genocide is important in this war. <laughs> not over there, though. Not Iraq, not Syria, not Afghanistan. No, just over there in this one and why it matters only on one side. That's it. Now, we're also going to get into some information around, I guess, what they're calling the new Israel. I don't not that I guess that they're telling you. This is the new Israel. Ukraine is being built as the new. That's what his presidential advisor is saying. That's what Zelensky is saying. But it's not really being stated by the Western press. Isn't that interesting? And I'll give you some context to why that's a really, really bad and dangerous thing. And it has nothing to do with any ethnicity or religion. It has to do with the government actions of the Israeli Zionist government and what they have done throughout history. And it's very alarming to model yourself after a group, the government, that is being called an apartheid state by major human rights organizations. And why that doesn't matter? <laughs> because everything is fake in a world that's top-down controlled. But we're also going to get into a really important topic. 
And this is middle of the show, so please stay tuned today, around, around Gonzalo Lira, who appears to be missing. And it's really upsetting me, actually, like just the idea of how this appears to have gone down. And I have all the details for you about who said what and where it's coming from, the, the, the Daily Beast involvement, what he said before this happened. If I'm gone, if this, is the, if this gap happens, this is what happened to me. I mean, I'm really concerned for this person. And it's just upsetting that this is, even as it is now being ignored, as somebody said in the chat before we started, if this was somebody who even had like tangential ties to even like a fringe mainstream outlet, this would be everywhere. But not when it's somebody who challenges the narrative and not when somebody who, there's a lot of ways you could frame this. Now I'm trying to find out whether or not he was an American citizen. I believe he was, but I know, as I understand that he is a Chilean. I'm not certain on a lot of the actual citizenship points. I'm sure we'll get more as this fleshes out. I'm trying to tap into the people that might've known better, but either way, he's a human being. And what happened is really upsetting, and we'll get into that. We'll also talk about some COVID-19 stuff to end today with some mask conversations. Mask being ruled illegal by a federal judge on a national level, but from Florida. And I argue it's not going to stand, but it's very good news. But we'll also talk about the microplastics involved in this and how a new study is showing that it's very real and absolutely is there, but they're trying to frame it on something else, which is also part of it. But plenty more to get in with COVID and everything else. Please stay tuned to the end because it's always a lot to talk about today, or as always, but today, not especially, but today, <laughs> along with every other show that we have, there's plenty to get into. And uh, not to start on the mass topic, we're going to start with this clip, just so you have it, if you'd like to watch it. This is, ju- this is uh, only that clip. It's only 44 seconds. I just think it's really incredible that they say that, and they're unabashedly. That's our job. It's our job to control what you think, right? We're Trump voters. Undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that is the that is yeah. our job. There's no misunderstanding that. And he goes, yeah, <laughs> and jumps right over to the topic. And if there's no like misunderstanding, he knew what she said. He said, yeah, and then jumped into the next thing. They're very clearly saying it's our job to control what you think. I don't even think they realize, like I said before, that that, I mean, that's, I think they believe that's a good, noble thing, that their job is actually to control what people think for freedom. Like these are brainwashed individuals if they think that. Or I would argue that if they don't think that and they're doing lying to you about it, then they're definitely manipulating people for obvious reasons. Uh, he has a Chilean, Chilean passport I'm seeing in the chat. I can't confirm that personally, but talking about Gonzalo. And we will get to there, get to that information. Um, let's see. Let's jump over to the next tweet here, which I find very, very telling. This is Mika. Mika Brzezinski coming direct from an intelligence family. Hmm, she says, this is so interesting. Great context, Mika. You really just, the point in doing something like this is to just let people dive down this information as if you, there's some secret insight to it that you're not pointing at. So let them think whatever they want to think and assume what you, like, this is not journalism. I guess this is a Twitter account. Regardless, the point is that you don't just float things like this. When you click on it, you're going to find the Wall Street Journal. And you're going to find them talking, and of course, not even the actual information, an an Instagram picture of the Wall Street Journal telling you a title with nothing else. There's no, there's no information. You can't go any further. They're just titles, right? Why, why would a journalist, so-called journalist of the West, instead of posting the actual article so you can read about it, understand the context, source material, and suppose just, here's a bunch of titles. 
Hmm, very interesting what you're supposed to think without any context. Terrible. In fact, exactly what you would expect if you know who she really is or what these people actually are. They're manipulators. They are brainwashers to be like, here's what you're supposed to think. Several million of workers staying. Here's the point, the first one. Seven killed in Russian missile strike, officials say. Great, Mika. Did you confirm that? Did you check with people on the ground? Do you know if there's actual evidence of whether it happened? I can promise you that's a no because it just happened and there isn't any information. This is coming directly from officials on the ground from the Ukrainian government that is completely overrun by extremists that have been admitted to by these same people right before this started. And then on February 25th, oh, everything changed, just like COVID. It's weird. Like seconds ago, the science around masks were pretty clear, not statistically significant against transmission. And then the moment COVID starts, it's like nothing matters anymore. We have to find out whether the new information that we do on the fly actually says what we think it says. You see what I'm saying? And that's what happens. Now it's the same thing. These are just flying through a bunch of random garbage. But the point is that is not what a journalist does. You don't say, look at this story that we're told to stare at with no information. Hmm. She's an influencer of misinformation, whether she knows that or not. Now, I'll get into that other the point that she's referencing, because I'm going to go into why it's completely unverified, as always is, except for that one chemical attack that didn't seem to happen. They're all we're waiting for evidence about and then never circled back to, which makes no sense whatsoever. I'm starting to think that's what it was really just about. Look at us doing our due diligence on this one story that we made sure we weren't going to care about. Every other story that seems to come out of Ukraine is Ukraine says no due diligence. And at the bottom, it says we can't confirm the story. Every single one of them. Why does that keep happening? I mean, a child could see that that makes no sense. Now, here's Caitlin Johnstone writing. How much are we prepared to sacrifice to help the U.S. win a propaganda war against Putin? Now, here's an important part to right out of the gate. When you read that title especially those that are just chopping at the bit to expose how we are Russian shills. Do you, why, when you read that title, do you immediately assume that she's suggesting Putin's not bad? Does it say that in there? Does it anywhere in there suggest that Putin is not just as bad as the U.S. government or the Russian government? It's just not as bad as the, or just as bad as the U.S. government or that Putin is just as bad as Biden or however you want to frame it. Or worse, I'm guess I'm mixing it up. The point is that anywhere in that title does it suggest that one side is wor- worse or better than the other? No, it does not. Spoiler alert. If you did read into that, that's your mind doing that. In fact, I could argue and I could prove to you, as this article even will, that Caitlin is very objective and very clearly trying to take a stance of that all these are, and it's similar to me, that all governments are bad and dangerous. It's really about the information. And from her perspective, from an Australian, largely more so focused on U.S. and Australian policy because it has more effect on what happens in our daily life. I do the same thing, focused from an American U.S. government perspective because that's where we can affect, I can affect the most change. No way does it mean when I point to what U.S. government lies about that Russian government can't lie too. I mean, these are childish binary level thinking, and that's what they want. The reason I'm saying this is because this is everywhere. We saw it from COVID. We saw it from Syria. We saw it during Iraq. We saw it during the 2016 election. You couldn't say that Trump was this without going, well, you like Clinton then? Well, Clinton's terrible. It's like, did I even mention Clinton or vice versa? We all experience that. That is social engineering. As she says, quote, free speech is important, not because it's nice to be able to say what you want, but because the free flow of ideas and information creates a check on the powerful which is exactly why I would argue Putin does the same thing in this country right now. We've seen it happen with the information flow around the war. They want to control what you think. The same thing is happening in this country. And if you are too childish to acknowledge that, then you are being propagandized. Here's what this person says. Putin is opposed to free speech. 
There's no good guy side here. Putin, Zelensky, Biden, Australia, et cetera, all owned by the Zionists. Now, I'd actually agree with that to a large degree. But why, my question, I'm not even trying to insult this person. I said, why are you assuming that she is suggesting that Putin is the good guy side? Because that's what's happening. She definitely did not say or even imply that. Just curious why that keeps happening. The point is obvious because people are tempered like that because you can't say that today. You're not allowed to be like U.S. does bad things without going, but what about Russia <laughs> or vice versa? Said, we, this is frustrating. As she wrote, if your understanding of world events doesn't account for the easily quantifiable fact that the U.S. government is the most tyrannical regime on earth by a massive margin, nothing else in your understanding of world events will be fact-based. We have to stop being childish about this. This, you know, the jingoistic mentality that drives us into pretending the reality isn't there because we it's un-American to admit that they did bad things, even though the government we're pointing at is not America, and that does not represent Americans as a whole. Just the same thing we say about the Israeli government or any other place we're pointing at, the Ukrainian government, the Russian government. Anybody that wants to pretend we don't make that nuance are just trying to argue a partisan argument and want to pretend that we're on one side or the other because it makes it easier for them. This is a fact, guys. The government of the United States has carried out the worst atrocities that, in living memory that I can point at. That doesn't mean in history forever, but it does mean that what we're staring at right now is an obvious reality. That your government in the United States, if you're an American, is responsible for horrific tragedies that they carried out on purpose, that then they covered up or lied about or manipulated. And does that mean that Russia? No, it does not. It just points out the reality that you first, as she's saying, from a perspective of people in the West, have to acknowledge this fact before we move forward in discussing the context or the reality of the larger situation. Otherwise, as she says, your understanding of world events won't be fact-based. It's pretty simple. I just think that's an excellent point. Of course, people are going to argue otherwise because they've been taught to. As Sarah Abdallah points out, you know, don't forget about Yemen. I keep making this point, as many of us do. It's amazing that everybody's so up in arms about what's going on in Ukraine, and rightly we should be, because the Ukrainian people are suffering, because it's happening from everybody's perspective. It is bad for the Ukrainian people. It's bad for the Donetsk people. It's bad for the Luhansk people. It's bad for the Crimean people. That's the point. Now, whether or not you believe that Russia pushed in for a valid reason or whatever you want to understand about it, I mean, you can have those opinions. It doesn't change the fact that war is bad on all sides for people in the middle. So why don't we care about Yemen then? Well, because the, the government we just pointed at are the primary people involved and we're not supposed to talk about how bad they are or the Saudi Arabian government, an open authoritarian tyrannical regime. But no, 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 they're on the US side, so they're good guys. 377,000 people have died as a result of the ongoing war in Yemen. Now, you could even argue that that's just war and both sides have a legitimate read. It doesn't even matter, does it? It does matter, but the point is that these people still suffer. And yet we go, shh, don't talk about that. We're not allowed to point that out. Yeah, she points out, don't see many people with flags of Yemen, or rather that James Melville points out. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? Now, here's her article. I want to read a couple parts from this. And I really want people to try to take this to heart, especially those that want to, you know, pretend like we're all liars and manipulating for one side or the other. Hopefully, maybe this will squeak through. How much are we prepared to sacrifice in your life personally? Take it as a direct question to you personally. How much are you willing to sacrifice to help the U.S. government win a propaganda war against anybody for that matter? Right? Oh, you got to take it on the chin, right? You're going to have high gas prices. You're going to, food's going to be high. Why exactly does that even make sense to anybody? Now, please read the whole thing as always. She's a great writer. As it says, ask a properly brainwashed, and I would argue two-party illusionist, 
left or right. But in this context, it's obviously more about the liberal side of this. But trust me, when it comes to Ukraine, guys, just like with COVID, it's pretty bipartisan. People that are blinded by what's happening there are extreme left and extreme right. Like really are blinded into the narrative because, you know, because even I mean, even Trump is acute as, as, on one side of this. So if they're really in the two party illusion, it seems like most of them are on the side of Ukraine fighting for freedom. It's really interesting. And it shows you the illusion of the two party paradigm. But anyway, the point is, as she writes, ask a properly brainwashed liberal why they support the censorship of someone who disputes U.S. narratives about Russia war crimes in Bucha or Mariupol. And they'll probably tell you something like, well, it's disinformation or because it's propaganda. Or how much is Putin paying you? All based on nothing but narrative and subjective points, right? But what they won't be able to do is actually articulate exactly what specific harm is being done by such speech in the same way that they could when defending the censorship of COVID skeptics or the factions responsible for last year's riot in the Capitol building. Now, I don't believe, and I'm not definitely suggesting that those things are good or that there was positive stuff there. The simple point is it was much easier to articulate why they were doing it then as she points out, when we go forward, you know, it's about stopping a virus or stopping dangerous information that could hurt people. And not to say that that's good, that we agree with that, but that was at least articulated. It says the one argument you'll get if you really press the issue is that the United States is in a propaganda war with Russia, right? We've already heard them basically admit that. And it is in our society's interests, according to them, for our media institutions, for the, you know, the apparatus that is the corporate media, to help the United States win that propaganda war. And that is where we got this little tidbit from, where they essentially came out. And I believe it's because people were getting caught. It was so obvious. They kind of said, well, let's tell them why we're lying, because we can't pretend we're not lying anymore. NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delaney in live in Washington. They're also suggesting that Ukraine has biological and chemical weapons in Ukraine. That's a clear sign he's considering using both of those. Talking about that was based on declassified intelligence, but we're also told the intelligence wasn't very clear about what exactly was going on. And they decided to, to disclose it as a way of deterring uh, Russia from doing that and putting the world on notice. We've never seen this level of information warfare before from the U.S. government. Another example was when they announced that Russia had gone to China uh, to ask for help with, what, with getting some weapons. That hasn't come to pass yet. Yes, and it was one U.S. official telling you it doesn't even have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. Oh, I should have let that play at <laughs> the dumpster fire part. But, you know, Ken Delaney and Mr. If you couldn't see the clip that was played on the screen for those in the podcast, this guy's been openly caught more than once, like on leaked documents going, hey, CIA, here's what I'm supposed to write about today. What do you want me to say, basically? Like, what would you like to be included? Like, that's crazy. However you want to pretend that makes sense, that is wildly outside the justifiable realm of what a journalist is supposed to do. But who cares, right? The point was they're going, well, we don't even have to know what's happening. We can just literally make this up from whole cloth. As I pointed out, Lee Camp had a good video on this with a couple of partisan points in there that I didn't like. That's why I didn't play it. But nonetheless, a really good video, just pointing out the obvious that from inside of even within the partisan discussion, that it's pretty obvious that we're just taking at face value what they tell you you're supposed to think. Now, you can argue that that still might be the truth, but you can't say you know that because they haven't shown anybody. And then they admit, well, even the things we say, we don't even need to prove because we probably don't even know they're real. That's incredible. The level of psychological manipulation is beyond what I've ever seen before, or at least what we've ever seen verified right in front of us. But it goes on. They basically say that, 
you know, as they pointed out, that it's all because we're fighting a propaganda war. And that's not just from now. That's They floated this idea before, as she points out in the article. I forget if I highlighted it, where I think it was Cuomo basically said, like, whoa, you know, how dare you bring that up when we're in the middle of a war with Russia? Like this is before, like psychological war. You mean the truth, Cuomo? Yeah, exactly. Because it was the truth. They acknowledge it was the truth. But they're like, ah, let Russia point that out because we don't like it. I think I did highlight it. I'll wait to get to it. It says, but what does that mean exactly? It means if we accept this argument, we're knowingly consenting to a situation where all the major news outlets, all of them, left, right, up and down, all the websites and apps that people look to for information about the world are geared not toward telling us true things about reality like we pretend, but toward beating Vladimir Putin in some weird side war. Now, that you may even argue that's a means to an end, and we'll get right back to telling the truth. But you have to acknowledge what they're telling you is that we are knowingly giving you false information, or at least we know it could be and we don't care. It says it means abandoning any ambitions of being a truth-based civilization, if that's wherever what we were, that is guided by facts, and instead accepting an existence as a propaganda-based civilization geared toward making sure we all think thoughts that hurt Moscow's long-term strategic, strategic interests. <laughs> then that's it. False, fake, unproven, doesn't matter as long as it hurts Russia's agenda. Why are we okay with that? Because Russia's a bad guy. And it's just absolutely freakish, she says, that this is a decision that has already been made for us without any public discussion as to whether or not that's the kind of society we want to live in. You know, just like the Great Reset. Did you have a choice in that? It's happening already. They jumped right from, quote, we're censoring speech to protect you from violence and viruses. That's the argument from before, the sixth and everything else, to, quote, we're censoring speech to help our government conduct information warfare against a foreign adversary without skipping a beat. If you can't acknowledge why that's alarming, like I would argue that even people that are at the utmost of brainwashing right now can still sense that that doesn't add up. And most of them that would just would just choose to fall comfortably back into the side they think they're supposed to be on and pretend like they don't recognize that's dangerous. But at the end of the day, we all must see that that's crazy. We have gone past the idea of pretending we're even telling the truth anymore. That's incredible. Oh, this this was the one. That's right. Oh, I, that, I, I conflated the two stories. The Cuomo one's down here. This is the one from BBC, which I probably saw first from Caitlin Johnstone when she reported it. And you guys probably remember this. I did a segment on this where this guy who was a, uh, where was it, a, a colonel or admiral, Admiral Allen West. And he made the argument that, you know, that this is not true, that he knows it's not true. And basically she says, you know, you're in trouble when the military. Oh, wait, no, that's not that's what uh, she he, she wrote about it. Right here. Given that we're in an information war with Russia on so many fronts, do you think perhaps it's inadvisable to be stating this so publicly, given your position and profile? She, he's telling the truth. She acknowledges that it was the truth and yet goes, maybe you shouldn't say the truth out loud when it helps Russia. And we all know where that comes from, or at least where we first saw that with WikiLeaks or, e or even specifically the 2016 election. Where the idea was, and it, and by the way, it wasn't even the truth that Russia leaked those emails. That's not what happened. Pretty, pretty obviously Seth Rich, who was also killed. But the point here is that we understand that they said, we know it's true, but it helps them, so don't talk about it. And that was kind of a lot of pushback then, but that was setting the table. Now we're at a point where that's just the foregone conclusion, which is pretty alarming. Because it says, quote, you know what would be the case for Russia to make? Oh, this is the one about Cuomo. It's at, speaking with Jill Stein. 
highlighting the completely un- uncontroversial, uncontroversial fact that the U.S. is an extremely egregious offender when it comes to interferences in foreign elections. We all know that. It doesn't matter whether you pretend it's for good reasons or not, which is just a childish argument when it's nonetheless against the law or a violation of international norms or whatever. And by the way, it's also not for good reasons anyway, if, we're, if we, we must see that. Or even if you want to think it's a third option, let's pretend like they want it to be for good reasons, but yet keep tripping up and failing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and every one of them destroy the country outright. But we sure try to do good things over and fail and over and fail. It's just like, come on. Are we going to keep letting them? Apparently so. Go on to the next country. Destroy that one too. Let them sell up in slaves and pretend like you liberated them. On and on and on. I know I go in this rampant thought process where half people probably don't know what I'm getting at. Nonetheless, guys, the point is we must realize that the U.S. government is meddling in elections all over the place. And even I wish I had that clip and I wish I'd remembered that. There's the clip of the intelligence guy. I think it was it wasn't Clapper. It was the other guy that looks like an orc. I forget his name now where he's on the, on MSNBC and they ask directly about the meddling in elections. And he makes this weird little giggle and then goes on to basically say, well, when we do it, it's good. And that's literally what the argument was. This is child level. But I really don't believe everybody buys it. Anyway, the point is that she said a fact. He says, quote, you know, what would be the case? That would be the case for Russia to make, not from the American perspective. Oh, you mean the facts and the truth, Cuomo? This is our point. He says, of course, there's hypocrisy involved, which means we know we're lying, but it's okay. Lots of different big state actors do lots of things that they may not want people to know about. But let Russia say that the United States did it to us. And here's how they did it. So this is fair play. So we don't care that they're doing the thing that they literally carry out military action for? (laughs) Yeah, that's a ridiculous thing to say, which is the same thing as saying, quote, forget what's factually true. Don't say true things that might help Russia's interests. That's Russia's job. Our job here on CNN is to say things that hurt Russia's interests. And that's exactly what we see happening. But you see, the problem is they don't hear what Russia says and entertain it and talk about it. No, Russia says something and it's auto misinformation, right? It's auto deleted. Nope, fake news. That didn't let them finish the sentence. Fake, not real. Russia said it, fake news. So when he argues, let them do it, that's because it's not even considered in the conversation. So basically what he's saying is we don't talk about the things that make us look bad. Just period. I mean, I, it's, I, it's on, I just, I know this is pretty basic and on the surface, but I just can't get past how crazy this is. She says, going on, we can trace the mainstreaming of the idea that it's the Western media's job to manipulate information in the public interest rather than simply tell the truth back to Donald Trump's 2016 presidential win. I argue goes back before that. She says the consent manufacturing class came to the decision that Trump's election wasn't a failure of status quo politics, but a failure of information control. And this gets into the Clinton discussion. And she makes a point that I'm pretty sure I didn't highlight in here that really the point, the argument was that the whole Clinton email thing was a big bun- a bungled thing and it wasn't real and that we overfocused on it and we made Trump win. And, and that the idea is going forward, we have to control the flow of information better. That's why Mika says that. That's our job. And we failed before, which is not even real, in my opinion. There's so much more that went down there, including, in my opinion, why Trump was supposed to be there. Different conversation. But nonetheless, this is the argument about the, you know, the, the orbit of the journalist mainstream world where, as she points out, they just pretty much got kicked off the cool kids' table, right? If you cared about Clinton's information because it was true, you're no longer allowed in those circles. Just like we point about with WMDs in Iraq. The people that got it right got kicked down. The people that towed the line got promoted. I mean, look at people like Rachel Maddow, 
everybody, even her fans, secretly know that she was flagrantly wrong about Russiagate, that she towed that line to the death because it was all about her career. And at the end of the day, there was nothing that actually proved that, and they knew that, and then we proved it was right, skipped right past it. And she went higher, top of her field, right? That's the point. Same thing with this. They made an agreement amongst themselves going forward. We need to control this better. Facts, truth aren't even in the conversation anymore. In October 2020, during the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, which is interesting how this precursor is a precursor to everything in Ukraine. The spectator Stephen L. Miller described how the consensus formed among the mainstream press since Clinton's 2016 loss that it was their moral duty to hide facts from the public, which might lead to Trump's reelection. Now, realize that from a partisan, not in the no perspective, if that is really what they think, that's what, how I would see that. The argument would be simply that they would continue this all the way until the next election, right? That they would just anything, even remotely, like a Biden laptop story that might affect that. Well, we're going to hide that, downplay it. It says, once journalists, in quotes, accepted that their most important job is not to tell the truth, but to keep people from thinking bad thoughts about the status quo political system, it was inevitable that they'd start enthusiastically cheerleading for more internet censorship. They see it as their duty, which is why now the leading proponents of online censorship are, of course, corporate media reporters. I would argue it's also a, a level of realizing they're losing control and nobody cares about them anymore. So they're trying to just censor all of us, all the ones out here on the peripheral that are doing their job for them or what, what they pretend their job is. And getting more tension and, you know, the idea that they're now paywalling and they're losing and they're going bankrupt. I mean, it's, it's clear that these mainstream corporate apparatus, they're not what they once were. And they know that. I mean, look at the ratings of CNN and these different groups. I mean, they've tanked. So what do they do? Get honest and start doing their job? No, they get rid of us telling the truth. Simple. Then they go back a line to you. It should alarm us that it's that all it should alarm us all that it's becoming increasingly acceptable to silence people, not because they're circulating dangerous disinfo, nor even because they're saying things that are in any way false, but solely because they are saying things which undermine U.S. info war. Simple as that. Free speech is important, not because it's nice to be able to say what you want, but because the free flow of ideas and information creates a check on the powerful. It gives people the ability to hold the powerful to account, which is exactly why the powerful work to eliminate it. How much are we as a society willing to give up for the U.S. government and its allies to win a propaganda war against Putin? And add it one more time, which in no way suggests that they're not doing the same thing, that they're not just as guilty in a thousand different ways. But as an American, being manipulated into this action that then drives U.S. and American policy, or then as it translates to Australian policy, we have a right to focus on this and how it affects our daily lives. If you can't acknowledge this is happening, then you are the one being manipulated. Even if we may be wrong about certain things, it's more important to understand how you are being manipulated to ignore what is really important in your day-to-day -day life in regard to policy, in regard to control. The next step, the great reset, I mean, all of this is important, guys. I just, this is, a, this, in my opinion, is easily the most important thing in a, in a general context that is happening because this leads to the Great Reset. This leads to the bio manipulate. This leads to everything. Because if we can't fight, if, if, if they're going to shut us down and control the flow of information to this level, it's only going to get worse unless we do something about it. And we may genuinely lose control of how we can reach each other, as we, the Corbett, plenty of other people have been warning about long before people like myself.
Now, this is Alan McLeod pointing out a great point. Every once in a while, the media takes their mask off, which is exactly what I'm saying about Mika, right? So every now and again, they say the quiet part out loud, whether they mean to because there's an agenda behind it or because they just don't realize. We should pay attention in those moments. I agree. I haven't referenced Mint Press News a lot lately. I still think they're doing a great job. Make sure you check them out. I do think I had one article. I know I put it off until the next uh, next show, but that's he's a, a, a writer for Mint Press News. To save democracy, we need a few good dictators. These are all articles. Some of them are from a little bit ago, but they're all generally in the same context of what we're getting at right now. They're floating this idea that, well, in the context of war or, you know, just in a dangerous situation, this is this is disaster capitalism or rather just disaster governance where they just create a problem and then act like they're solving it is what's needed. Even if it goes against everything you believe in, it's because, well, we're in a situation here. It's an emergency. Yeah, we all know what that's about. Here's another one. And we've re- we've seen this one already. And they actually changed the headline like instantly. But we all saved it. It's time to give the elites a bigger say in choosing the president. And of course they, oh no, they, we can't say it that clearly. And they changed something entirely different. These people are very clearly telling you what they think, that you're too stupid to know. You don't know. You're a dumb little peon. Don't think, don't, they, we only want you to pretend, we want you to believe that you have influence over this. You don't really influence what we're doing. Again, it's adult Santa Claus. Like it's amazing. We still pretend with everything we now know, that we that we go out and we put a little check on a piece of paper. Oh, yeah, you have influence. I'm not even saying that one vote wouldn't influence if it was real. Of course it would. It's not real. We must see that by now. Your elections are manipulated. More so than any other half democracy they pretend to critically now analyze around the world. It's just outright manipulated, and we must see that from left and from right. And the problem is that right now only one side of it wants to admit it in in the context of when it's beneficial to them. The Republicans don't want to pretend it happens on their side. You know, and of course the left would say it's fake up until we point back and they said it a thousand times in regard to their wings or losses. It's just ridiculous. If they knew you could, like if they, if they had these kind of long-term international, even just national plans, billions of dollars invested, we're going to pretend they'd roll the dice and whether or not you agree with it. It's just crazy to think about. Financial Times. Democracy works better when there's less of it. <laughs> Interesting. Now, again, I'm not even arguing democracy, what we, you know, the word and what we pretended. I mean, these aren't even things. The point is just simply how they're trying to frame for you that any kind of actual engaged representative governance is bad. It's only good in certain context, right? And they get to decide what that is. <clears throat> now, bringing this over to the context of, of Ukraine, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> The Kiev Independent writes, and this is the same discussion. There's a couple more points I want to make in this con- con- the context of kind of media manipulation. Russian military forcibly removes around 150 children from Mariupol. That's the, that's the headline. <clears throat> now, this is, this is today. Let me read first what it says. The Crimean Human Rights Group reported on April 17th, citing an advisor to Mariupol's mayor that, they are, that many of the children were taken from hospitals and were not orphans. I mean, they have parents. The children have reportedly been transferred to the direction in the direction of temporarily occupied Donetsk in the Russian city of Tang, uh, Tangerang. Now, going off what we just discussed, what do we know here, right? First of all, if you're taking this from a propagandized perspective, well, Russia, bad guy. Therefore, anything involving children, anything like this is terrible and bad, and they're hurting people, and they're stealing children. Right. But from the other side of it, well, we're talking about the Mariupol mayor, which is the Aza Battalion. They have controlled Mariupol specifically 
more than just that, but very clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt, have controlled Mariupol ever since 2014. That's on the record. So this person is part of this extremist level, Azov, right-wing extremist, whatever they're framing him as now, dangerous group. And he says, so can we prove it? Well, no, we've got a Crimean human rights organization who is citing what he says to say this happened. Now, the larger point should be that whoever, I mean, look, this story is alarming to me. Whether Russia is doing it, whether they're doing it for good reasons, whether Ukraine's doing it, whether they're doing it for good reasons. Just the fact that we have the art, assuming for a moment that 150 children even got taken and removed somewhere, because I would, I don't know why we would take anything at face value coming from a group that's caught, caught lying about everything so far, most things. But my point would be that even if Russia has good intentions, moving children away from parents and across state, across borders in the middle of a war zone is alarming to me because of what we should know by now happens in these war zones. Like, again, just hypothetically speaking, let's say Russia has good intentions. What about the people transit moving them? Well, what about people in Donbass? Do they have good intentions? I mean, there are bad people out there everywhere. So the idea that these children are being moved in a war zone makes me very uncomfortable because you know, for those that have watched previous work of ours, that we've been following the story about human trafficking long before Jeffrey Epstein, which opened a lot of people's eyes to what really is happening. My point is that this is alarming to me because this happens a lot and never gets covered. In Syria, there's a whole story about the thousands and thousands of missing children that never got discussed. Anyway, my point in all to point this out is, what do we really know? Because really, you would argue that this it looks alarming, but is did Russia steal them for some weird purpose? Or did they rescue them from an extremist-held location where they were holding children and other people, which I'll prove to you yet again today, as hostages? As many of the people still coming out of Mariupol and elsewhere are willing to tell you that. Meanwhile, we've got a person from USAID, a couple of people who don't want to put their faces on camera, and another person that also works for the U.S. government. They're their big witnesses from Mariupol that are all very compromised, in my opinion, certainly could be telling the truth, but then explain the waterfall of people coming out on all different web websites, locations, times of day, everywhere, telling you what they're seeing. They're being shot at by the Azov Battalion, that they're raping and murdering and pillaging, and they're holding them hostage, and they're using their homes. I'll show it to you yet again today. All new videos, every time. Nonetheless, the point is, why would we assume that this is the truth? Because they want you to. Just like Caitlin said, the point is you've already set a narrative. So it doesn't matter whether this is even real, whether Russians were in fact rescuing these children from a very dangerous situation. And then realize the last point would be that if they're in there just indiscriminately murdering anybody, like to the point to where their argument was that they bombed that building because children were written on the ground, even though it got later turned out they're the ones that wrote that. And it's because the parents said they did it to protect them. And they, they just, they're lying about everything. My point is, if they're arguing, they just bombed them because there was children. Why would they take a, why, why would they just kill them? Like it just, none of this adds up. There's no logic to what they say is happening. Now, is it possible that Russia took these children from a protected location to do something negative? Well, I certainly possible. I just wouldn't really see a strategic benefit to that, but think for yourself. My point is that we don't know either way. It's floated as narrative and you assume one side or the other because you already have a side. Anyway, the, the real point is this makes me nervous, whether Russia's in control of them or not, because bad things happen to kids in general, but way, way worse during wartime. And it just, it just makes me sick to worry about what's happening there, but so much of it goes on. And by the way, it's been happening to children in the Donbass region for eight years. Because Ukrainian min, min, uh, extremists have been doing that. And we don't talk about that part. It's happening in Yemen right now. We don't talk about that. But it all matters. Now, 
Here's another interesting story before we jump into the chemical point. These are the kind of things that we keep seeing. And this is the idea of what Caitlin, again, is pointing out, that just the floating narratives because fighting Russia doesn't have to be real anymore. I just saw this the other day, and it blew, I just couldn't even believe it. NBC News points out authorities in Pennsylvania are searching for a missing portable nuclear device <laughs> containing radioactive material that was stored inside a vehicle reported stolen. Now, it turns out this is just a not, an absolute nothing story, and it makes sense because they just want you thinking nuclear stuff and danger and, but you know, I guess just to keep the idea of nuclear dangerous things in Ukraine flooding into your world. I mean, I don't even know why they would float this at this time. Sort of like we see these things pop up when they correlate, right? How we haven't heard even, at least I haven't heard reporting of shootings, let's say, for a really long time. Like, you know, mass shooting. But all of a sudden, Biden makes this, has this conversation about gun control stuff. And then all of a sudden, you got the media. I get my notifications popping off. Shooting, 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 shooting like six times in a row. Different ones around the world in the process of one day. You real, I've made this point before. You realize that happens every day in this country. The ones they're reporting. Now I'm not talking the ones where 50 kids die or 50 people or whatever or 20 people. But the ones where people get shot on a level that we call mass shooting. That happens every day in this country. Look at Chicago and Baltimore and other places every day. But more than that, my point is that they choose to point at it when they want to. So this kind of thing, I wonder why. Why is this weird story being blown out of proportion when there's so much else going on? As I said, you've got to be joking. They would always rather be perceived as incompetent than criminal. My thought, first of all, was, well, here's a portable nuclear device that's going to go missing, and then suddenly it's going to, something bad will happen, and they'll be like, oh, here's our story. We won't even have to prove it. Somebody stole it. It's probably a Russian or whatever. This is why was it even in a vehicle, in transit, in the first place? Must have been an exercise. But this person's point is it's a tool used to test soil compaction, hardly worthy of the fear-mongering headline. So... It's just, they just are saying things to get things in your mind, guys. Smith Modernization Act. It's about floating a narrative all for national security. Finally, Oliver Stone points out, kind of bringing to fruition this first main point about what Caitlin was writing about. He says, for those of you who believe what you read in the media. Now, by the way, I'm not, I don't think Oliver Stone is somebody that, I mean, I shouldn't always have to say that. You guys, it shouldn't be that because I'm reading someone's tweet that I endorse everything they've ever said, right? That's how the binary thinking of today works. The point is what he's saying in this tweet, I agree with. Simple as that. For those of you who believe what you read in the, in the media, here is something to chew on. This, this is an interesting article worth your time. The reporter, Jacques Baud, a retired colonel in Swiss intelligence who served in Ukraine in NATO training operations, is an impartial source. Now, you could take him at face value if you believe he's an impartial source, but I wouldn't just take that at face value. Read it, as always, and question everything. But he goes on to say, USA, either out of arrogance or as a tactic of war, does not wish its citizens to hear this kind of disturbing information because it goes into the reality, guys, in my opinion, because they don't respect the judgment of ordinary citizens to hear a realistic counter-narrative. This is what Caitlin's talking about, right? It doesn't matter if it's true. Pointing out all the horrible things that your government is allowing or doing or building or funding. Doesn't, you can't look at that stuff because it makes Russ look bad, therefore Russia better. Can't do that, so it's all fake news. This has led to censorship we're experiencing right now. He says, disconnect between U.S. Uh, or us and Russia is the most dangerous element in the world right now, in his opinion. By rejecting any such info under the catch-all, guilt-denying misnomer of Russian disinformation, without proving it, by the way, just saying anything you disagree with is, are, are we not allowing ourselves to be misled again? As in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, or literally any other situation we know from the past we were lied about, but here we are falling into it again? Again, I don't believe everybody is. I think that's what they want us to think. And see, I, even I fall into it. 
It says, remember that in the depths of the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, it was the desperate last minute attempts, as the story goes, of JFK, RFK, and the ambassadors of, of uh, Russia or Soviet Union, a possible nuclear apocalypse was prevented. Now, the point is, even just taking that narrative at face value, the point is simply that you have to, like, okay, here's a good example. During when Trump met with, I think, I forget whether it was Russia or whether it was Kim, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, the media lost his collective mind because they're, he's normalizing a dictator, which showed, one, that either they have no real understanding of historical norms of what normally happens in diplomacy, or they just lied to you because they thought the average American was too dumb to know that, and they're wrong. The point is, that is what you're supposed to do, even in the midst of war, even with the worst of the worst. You have diplomacy. You sit down and talk, and of course, you can walk away going, yeah, he's a maniac. But you have those moments where you're allowing some kind of dialogue, but not when they don't want you, not Russia's off the table, right? We won't even let you eat Russian dressing. We're going to kick out people off Russian video games. We're going to stop you from playing Russian soccer. Like, that's crazy town. But that's where we are, and that's what he's talking about. Now, talking about the things like the chemical attacks that supposedly happened, right? Same point off what we're just discussing. Ask yourself what in the world happened there. Right. So they so the and it's not just some side claim by some small. This is the Azov Battalion, who is a huge entity in this. that's tied back to the, the governments, to the national core, to the national core is their political party, but the National Guard to the police forces. There's all sorts of other political parties as well. They work with that are also openly neo-Nazi extremists like Svoboda, like the right sector, like the Georgia Legion, which are battalions. But the point is that they're there. So when the Aza Battalion speaks up and says, this happened, not maybe, not we think, but says this happened. And then other high level politicians speak up and say, not maybe, that say they did this. And then nothing happens. Everyone ignores it. They go, we don't know for sure. And then they back away. What does that mean? So the main question is, in my opinion, it's pretty obvious. There was one or two things. Either the Aza Battalion spoke out of turn. Right. And did this because they wanted to make this happen before it was they were ready for it. And maybe because the U.S. government's well aware that we all see right through it. I don't know. Or. The whole point was to make it look like they're doing due diligence when they're not, because right after that, they went right back to going Ukraine says with no due diligence. But either way, the point, the main point I'm making is what happens now? Right. I mean, do we not care that they. They literally accused the government of Russia of carry, using chemical weapons, which is a huge allegation, which is supposed to not be able to be put away. You said it. There should be some kind of investigation. They just act like it didn't happen. Think about how crazy that is. I mean, I, I just we need to realize that they are at a point now where they're just they're, they they float a huge allegation like that, and they're not ready to acknowledge it. They just skip past it. Doesn't that mean that they lied? Doesn't that mean the Aza Battalion just made up an entire false flag story that we don't talk about? None of that's even being pointed at. Here's my discussion of it. Aza Battalion accuses Russia of chemical attacks in Mariupol as even white phosphorus and poison gas allegations were flying. All these things were flying around and none of them have been followed up on. At least not yet, anyway. This was April 12th, last week. Here's the art, one of the articles. There's a bunch of them I talked about. Ukraine accuses Russia of chemical weapons attack. Okay, here is a Ukrainian member of the minister of internal affairs of Ukraine, right? Immersed with the extremists we're talking about. He is one, in my opinion. Chemical attention, he says, on April 11th. Chemical weapons are used against Ukrainian defenders in Mariupol. Not that that is unequivocal. He's saying it's happening and it did and it happened and they're dangerous. Like there's no maybe in that. Russia openly crosses all boundaries. 
Okay. And of course, we're still asking for weapons, right? As we're somehow winning, even though we don't have what we need. <laughs> Competing narratives they're spinning at the same time, which I love when they do that. But the point was that right now, if you search for chemical weapons attack, Mariupol, all you get is stuff from a week ago. Every one of the six days, seven days, this one's three, it says, oh, again, just all options are on the table, skipping right past that it happened, which by the way, as I've shown you many times, I'm going to get into in a second, the U.S. government, the I mean, they all say the same thing. All options are on the table. One of the guys even just said in response that we'll respond in kind if we find out you use them. Well, that's a threatening chemical weapons. Putin and the Russian government have never said stuff like that. They insinuate that, well, you know, all everything's on the table, which is what the U.S. government says all the time. It's funny when he says it, they go, oh, he's threatening attacks. It's just, it's childish level that it's being hypocritical that we know that it's not as big as they're trying to make it out to be. Anyway, the point was, they just stopped talking about it. But if you search for the past 24 hours, well, you get the, you get the discussion of, you know, this is the only one, by the way, that seems to mention Mariupol. Let's talk about chemical weapons propaganda. I think this is actually a discussion about the other one. That, that I just refreshed it, by the way. The point was, why deterring Russian use of chemical weapons is a challenge, right? Slammed by rockets. What do we do if he uses them? So we just pretended that allegation didn't happen? We're just jumping right past the allegation and going, well, what if he uses them? Well, they already told us they did. I don't buy it. I think the Aza Battalion was trying to carry a false flag, but I guess they just weren't ready for it. So we're just going right back to as if it didn't get stated. We're going, oh, what if he does? So the next time they say it, will you buy it? I mean, it just you see what I'm saying? It's very weird. Uh, then, of course, the point is that they're not stopping, though. Even though the Western corporate media and the U.S. government apparently are just aren't ready to point at it. Here they are saying, remains of chemical weapons found after Russians left. Okay, so we're not even, we're skipping past the whole narrative, but now they're going one step further and saying, well, we even found remains. Ukrainian mayor says, right, exactly. They're willing to state what he says here. Why were they so being, so quibbling or so, uh, uh, wait, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Why were they so conflicted about reporting the chemical? You see what I mean? They're the same thing. Either you say they said it, report it, or you act like you don't have evidence. Only evidence only matters to actual journalists, right? And this is the point. It says, Ukrainian Mary says, that's it. Right there, you should be like, well, okay, if that's all they have to go on, I shouldn't even bother reading this. He says there's remains of chemical weapons. Okay. Mayor of Ukraine City said officials found traces of sarin and other chemicals. We found the remains of chemical weapons in the village. The, the security service of Ukraine, oh, the SBU, right, the Azov Battalion, is currently working on this. Newsweek was unable to independently verify these claims. Why did you even write the article? Because there's a narrative happening here. The mayor's comments come just days after a Ukrainian battalion accused Russian military of using chemical weapons. And then we just dropped that story, though. The Azov Regiment, a far-right nationalist unit, which that's, again, as a... As, uh, Richard Benners points out that's like calling the Al-Qaeda moderate rebels. I mean, these are dangerous extremist level people here. And they admitted that moments before this started, but then just changed on a dime. And then it kind of went back now, showing you how childish they are. Reported that three of them were poisoned, right? And they're standing by that. Not we think, but that this was a chemical attack. So it's pretty silly that they're just skipping right past it. The report sent Western nations scrambling to verify the claims. But only that one, though. Because now we're just going right back to it. They did it. Happening. Oh, wait, where's the next one? Oh, in any case, here is Washington Post today. Why deterring Russian use of chemical weapons is a challenge. Okay, so we're, just, we're done with that one, apparently. 
Didn't happen. We're not looking at it. We're not, we don't point at it. La la la. Didn't happen. Okay. So now we're just going to keep going on. What if they do it? How are we going to stop them? <laughs> See, they just weren't ready for it. Apparently there are limits to what the United States and NATO can threaten. <laughs> I love that. Not limits to what we can do because we just do it quietly, pretend like it didn't happen. But what we can say out loud, there's limits to what we can threaten. And that's not even true, by the way. That's stupid. I don't even know what they're trying to argue here. It's sort of like the new Biden thing where Biden's got all these challenges and he just can't do anything about it. Well, yeah, we sure as hell know that. Concerns that Russia might use chemical weapons in Ukraine gained renewed urgency last week after unverified reports that Moscow dispersed an own chemical when besieged. That's it. So what happened? What do you mean unconfirmed report? Did you investigate? Was anything happening? Because they never investigate, guys. They just don't. They're just deciding not to point at it anymore. Other than to point back and say, well, unconfirmed. Doesn't that seem strange to you? After unverified reports, one fear is that things going poorly on some fronts in Ukraine, it will be used. It will use such weapons to turn the tide. And here is a childish level narrative that they know isn't true. That somebody, anybody, would use a chemical weapon to turn the tide of a war. Because that's not what would happen. Because it doesn't have the, a bomb, a normal bomb is far more destructive, kills far more people, and has far more effect in a wartime situation. Chemical weapons are used as false flags to manipulate the situation. I mean, it's pretty much my opinion today. Anybody that's using chemical weapons knows that they don't have the effect that a normal bomb would. So why use them? If you actually ask the U.S. government, it's because they're crazy maniacs that like to see people melt, children melting skin off their faces, right? Just something outrageous. They just like to see children hurt, which is what Zelensky keeps saying. Is there proof of that? No. So why do they say turn the tide? Strategically, that's ridiculous, like laughable. Because they want you to think that that's what's happening. So when he does it, they can go, well, strategically, he did it to turn the tide. No, that's counterintuitive. But that's sure as hell what they argue, because the Washington CIA post is what they do. They lie to you. Well, coming over into the nuclear side of this, because that's also part of the same manipulation. Same point, floated on what Zelensky says. And he's not even saying he's got evidence they're doing anything. He just is going, well, Russia does stuff like that, so let's all be scared about nuclear weapons. Great journalism, CNN. Exclusive. Zelensky says world should be prepared for possibility Putin could use nuclear weapons. Wow. I mean, that's just silly. Now, is it possible? Of course. But so too is using literally anything else that you can pull out of the ether. Right? Anything. It's just as silly as arguing that Putin could walk in the White House and poke Biden in the eye. Sure could happen, couldn't it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm trying to make something ridiculous. Is it possible he could lose nuclear weapons? Yes. It's not ridiculous they might find a reason to use them. It's ridiculous to argue that we should be scared of this idea just because Putin's there and weapons exist. That is ridiculous. April 15th, it says Ukrainian President Zelensky told CNN Friday that, quote, Right, you'd expect that kind of setup, that he's going to say something with some kind of holding water. <laughs> he says, all of the countries of the world should be prepared for the possibility that Putin could use tactical nukes. In a general sense, whenever, no time frame, just whenever, we should be worried about that. So let's be logical. Why would you worry that he would use them? There's no, there's really, it would be detrimental to everybody, as any state level government would always say. That's the mutually assured destruction. But in this context, you have two things. You've got the only government in the history of the world that ever used them on somebody. Well, that's concerning. You also have an extremist group that is threatened to use them on people in Donbass. So why would you be worried about one guy that's never even threatened them, that's openly saying that he wouldn't use them unless forced to, instead of people on the other side? Because you're choosing not to look at that. 
does not mean that Putin is not dangerous to have them. And I don't think anybody should have nuclear weapons because they're dangerous. But this is all based on hypothetical fear. Zelensky told CNN's Jake Tapper in an exclusive interview from the office of the president in Kiev on Friday that Putin could turn to either nuclear or chemical weapons because he does not value the lives of people. Do you guys realize how, how low level that is? So this is a guy who is in control of a puppet regime that's, that's completely controlled by extremists, as even they have admitted to before this started. I can't say that enough. And he's saying that he could do that because he doesn't care about people's lives. You know, I, I wouldn't even disagree. I don't think any of them do. But why do you know that? Is there evidence or proof around that argument? No, this is just setting the table with the narrative they want you to think. This is overt propaganda. Quote, chemical weapons, they should do it. They could do it. For them, the life of the people, nothing. That's why. Cool. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of the fact that he seemingly can't speak English properly as the leader of the Ukrainian country that's being controlled by the U.S. government. I just think he doesn't even know what he's trying to say. Chemical weapons, they should do it, he says. What are you talking about? Sure, let's just pretend it's a translation error. But it says, in the wide-ranging interview, Zelensky spoke about the sinking of the Russian ship. Now, I'm not going to get into that much today because I can't even confirm whether this in fact happened. But the point is that this is a ship, this flagship of the Russian, of the Russian government that they claim they shot down. But I'm hearing reports that they're claiming the, the ghost of Kiev shot it down or, shot, or sank it, excuse me. I'm not even making that up. The, 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 sh- the, the very character that has been proven even by the Western press to not even be real. But whatever. And then the argument goes that there was possibly nuclear weapons on that boat. All this hypothetical garbage nonsense being stated with nothing to back it up. You shouldn't even pay attention to it. It certainly could be true, but why don't we wait for evidence? Ukraine's forces have resisted the Kremlin's attempts to seize Kiev, which I don't think has even happened, and forces Russia to refocus its war efforts on the eastern and southern regions of the country. Now, is that what happened? Possible. But shouldn't we consider that Putin said from the very beginning he was not even going to Kiev, that the point was to do what he seems to have done? And I made this point in the very beginning. I said, I don't know for sure. He could be lying about that to cover his invasion. But if it ends up, and it hasn't ended yet, but if it ends up where he ultimately does what he said he was going to do, doesn't take the whole country, controls the border, protects these two areas, and backs away after the denazifying or whatever, then you have to at least consider that that's what he meant to do. But nope, not the side that Russia bad guy. You won't ever consider that. Even if it was very clear and documented the whole way, your argument will go that Zelensky won. (laughs) We pushed him back from somewhere he never went into. We won. Right. That's just this is propaganda war. That's the information war that she was discussing. Now, there's there's plenty of information around the outskirts of Kiev. But I keep saying this. And if anybody has more information, please send it my way of whether they were actually in the center of Kiev and whether or not they were simply just or even whether they were bombing into Kiev, because it just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, the point would be that they're arguing that the way this went was because they won, yet simultaneously pretending that they don't have enough to even defend themselves. So every time you don't send weapons, we're all dying, but we're winning at the same time. (laughs) I love how they just speak out of both sides of their mouth. Now, here is an article from Mir. Ex-Russian minister reveals exact time that Putin will probably use nuclear weapons. Well, that's a great title, guys. So you, you, an exact time of when it might happen? I mean, how do you even say something like that? But it says Putin will only resort to using nuclear weapons if Russia faces an existential threat, possibly with NATO troops bearing down on Moscow, like the capital of Russia, a former foreign minister has claimed. That means not NATO troops inside Russia. Okay. Why anybody would think that is a big deal is crazy. I don't even understand because an ex- th- that is what 
every country anywhere argues. And I mean, and, and to an even lesser degree than what the U.S. government pushes. They argue they can strike first with nuclear weapons because they're pretty crazy. Russia still to this point says that they would only use them if they were used first or, and that's the point here, there was an, an existential threat that literally threatened the entirety of the existence of, of Russia. That's what their own documents say. And that's way less than the, the level that the U.S. government, the U.K. government, where they go. So why is it a big deal? It only matters in the context. If, if you compare them, you'd be like, well, the U.S. government stance is way more hostile. So why are we pointing at this and acting like it means anything? This is just boilerplate. If we have a threat. I mean, it's just very clear. But they're still hyping it, though, which is very interesting to me. CIA director warns Putin's desperation. Again, painting this as if they've lost somehow and not gone to plan. Right? I could be wrong about that. And he maybe is losing. But the point is that nobody's proving anything. And they keep stressing this idea that he's desperate. It just doesn't feel like that. Even Western experts have said that's not what's happening on corporate media. But he goes, Des desperation over Russia's failures in Ukraine could lead him to use nukes. Now, you could argue that an actual failure in regard to this kind of situation might be logical in the sense that he would feel desperate enough to think that these people would use nukes first or however you frame that, which would go against their stated policy. But the idea that he would use nukes at all just for many sides seems crazy because it is not positive for either side, any of them, especially when it's right on the border of Russia. But on top of that, that it just doesn't align with the Great Reset agenda, guys. I don't think it makes sense. And Putin and the government of Russia are very involved. I see people commenting about Gonzalo. Don't worry, we're going to talk about that in the next two, segment after this. Don't worry. I'll try to get through this here. Now, the point is they're just pressing the idea of how this is all up in the, you know, very, if he's desperate, he's going to use them. It just doesn't make sense. But you, you search for Russian nukes, of course, and you get everything under the sun. Every outlet anywhere theorizing about the unknown. How is that journalism? And meanwhile, we've got plenty of stuff we can prove they're running from. Now, here is an article discussing the Iskander missiles we just discussed, even though it's weird because that was the one they were kind of not talking about when they wanted you to think that those, uh, uh, what, what, I'm blanking on the term right now, the, it's in here somewhere. Hold on. Dude, Torcha? <laughs> I don't want to say it wrong. That's frustrating. I'll, I'm going to read through it. We'll find it. The, the, the uh, tor Torchy, I'm blanking on the term all of a sudden. There it is. Tochka. Tochka U. Remember, this is the conversation around whether or not these were missiles fired by Ukraine or the Russian government. Right? So it's very interesting that they're sort of now admitting that this, they don't even use them. Now, could they have used it to make it look like it was Ukraine? Sure. But then why did they argue that that missile made sense that it was Russia? Like the argument should have been that they would have used it, even though they don't use them, to make it look like it's Ukraine. But that's not how they framed it. So it's pretty telling. It seems like they wanted you to think that that's what they used. Seems like a false flag to me. And by the way, it's pretty obvious that's what happened. Check that story out if you'd like to find out more about that. Now it says, for, and this is, of course, U.S. intelligence is watching closely for signs that Russian armed forces are preparing any kind of nuclear strike. You know what that translates to? We have nothing. So if right now they're watching for signs of any kind of nuclear setup, that means there's none now. So their story is, we have nothing to suggest anything's happening, but we're looking for it. Be afraid. That's crazy to me. It says, ever since Russian, Vladimir, uh, Russian President Putin threatened the United States and NATO not to intervene, saying that if he did, if they did, there would be consequences that you have never encountered in history. The intelligence agencies have fixated on the nuclear arsenal. 
Okay, my point is, as always, here's where he says this. I'm just gonna, I'm actually going to skip this, but he says, if you lead to such consequences that you have never encountered before in history, he says. And you can see the context of it. It's exactly what you might think. It says, you should know that Russia's response will be immediate, right? It says, whoever tries to hinder us, it'll be immediate. And it will lead you to such consequences that you've never encountered in your history. Now, that could mean anything. Because the U.S. government has encountered the kind of consequences they forced on everybody else around the world for most in most cases. Like financial stuff, like losing geostrategic power. I mean, that's what's happening right now, where the U.S. government's continually kind of losing that power around the world. Or it could mean nuclear power, yes. But the idea to assume that that's what it would mean, especially with their policy, doesn't, it's an assumption. I mean, that's all we really have to say, guys. It could be, but they're just floating what they want you to think, which is everything around this, which should be very suspicious. And by the way, the point is, how many times have you heard Trump or Biden or Obama or all of them do the same thing? Nothing is off the table. Refusing to say anything's off the table. Consequences, as Trump or Biden said, that you've never experienced. So why is it weird when he says it? Why is it only a threat when Putin does it? It's only a lie when they say it. Desperation is the key to understanding what's going on here. Again, this idea that he's desperate. Trying to argue an uh, an intention or a feeling that Putin has. He must be desperate. We know Putin's playbook. They're treating you like you're six years old. Could he be desperate? Sure. Doesn't seem like that, though, based on literally everything in front of us other than what they're saying. Everyone is fixated on Mariupol, it says, but elsewhere on the battlefield, Russia's making little to no progress. I mean, is that what's happening? Plenty of even Western pundits do not think that. Apparently, Israel's bombing Gaza right now. I just see that in the chat. Doesn't surprise me at all. I'm sure Robert will be covering this quite soon. You know, no one cares about that, do they? It's pretty disgusting that we have such hypocritical stances here. But it says, meanwhile, there is an escalation from our side, both in the increasing unity of Europe, including the Scandinavians, and in the billions worth of arms being supplied, including for the first time, offensive arms. Don't you love that? Oh, you mean like the defensive arms? They're weapons, guys. They're weapons. Yes, there are weapons that are designed to be more defensive about, you know, missiles incoming and so on. But if you think for one second, I mean, I don't even need to frame it like that. They have admitted to arming them since 2014. It's on the record, guys. The CIA's written about it, the different group, the foreign policy article. They told you they've been arming them. So this pretend level where they go, we were just sending in, oh, those Soviet-level defense systems. It's just so blatant what's happening right now. To pretend like we only just sent in weapons is a lie. Even Zelensky said that. Even the people from C-14 speaking on the record said they've been arming and paying us. for the. It's obvious. But if they just look the other way, because we're, as Caitlin says, we're not allowed to acknowledge the things that challenge their narrative. The Biden administration announced last week that another almost billion dollars worth of your money were being sent in the form of weapons, including artillery guns, to the Oz Battalion. Very clearly, the U.S. is very concerned about the possibility of Russia using nuclear weapons. Why? Is there any indication they're even discussing that? No. CIA says, well, that makes sense because there's an agenda. They've had an agenda in Ukraine since at least 1948. Please watch this show and you'll be blown away if you haven't seen it yet. They're building fascist extremists since 1948, using Nazi war criminals. And I mean literal Nazi war criminals. They were protected by the U.S. government. It's all on the record. CIA documentation. Russia has stated that if Sweden and Finland join NATO, it would move nuclear weapons closer to the countries. Now, again, this is taking the ignorance of the average person. So too would the United States. So too would anybody. 
It doesn't mean you're using weapons. It means you're deploying them in ways that are strategic. And when these groups change in whether or not they're involved in the NATO situation, well, then your strategy changes about where you might have to set them up to be able to defend yourselves. This is basic, guys. It's just kindergarten level stuff. And they just go, oh, they might have to move them if we do that. Well, because you are crossing red lines all over the place. Not to say that I suggest that nuclear weapons being used at all are okay, but it's pretty obvious why that makes sense. Quote, if Ukraine continues to provoke attacks on Russian cities, Russia will be forced to declare war. This is the Russia speaking, hinting something more massive than the special military operation declared on February 24th, which doesn't that suggest to you that that's not how they see this? Now, you could argue it's propaganda, but the idea is that they're declaring war would be like literally pushing in and occupying Ukraine like the U.S. has done around the world all over the place. Not just encircling the border, controlling the areas they're trying to protect and fighting against the Azov Battalion, right? Which is what's happening. Moscow says that a handful of attacks that have taken place on Russian soil were perpetrated by Ukraine through Kiev, although Kiev has not confirmed this. So if they, I love that. This is the point. If it was Ukraine saying it, they would all yell, Ukraine says attacks in Ukraine all over the place without any verification. But Russia speaks up. And by the way, there's plenty of evidence that happened that there are attacks locations, oil facilities being bombed inside of Russia for who knows, Israel, United States, Ukraine, who knows? Nobody cares. Barely even reported. <laughs> exactly. Russia reacted to the sinking of its Black Sea fleet sh- uh, flagship, uh, Mosca- Mos- Moskva, that's the one we were talking about, by attacking targets beyond the battlefield and threatening an escalation. So they say, right? I mean, again, this is just stated by them and we pretend like it's real. Until, and I'm not suggesting they wouldn't, but again, why do we think we know? Just because they tell us this. Intelligence and military observers say Russia hasn't made any direct nuclear moves so far, but that's all you need to see. So this is floated on nothing. Zelensky says they have nukes. We should be scared. And everybody freaks out and talks about it for a week. But even their people are saying we don't have any evidence of anything other than normal. According to Hans Christensen of the Federation of American Scientists, he warns that the dangers of overstating the threat are real. Yeah, exactly. Because we're all blowing this out of proportion because it's about an information war. Christensen points out that Russia's statements regarding escalation and the potential for nuclear weapons closely mirror the exact language contained in formal Kremlin documents. Yeah, you don't say because they're literally following their policy to the letter. So why are they all acting like this is a big deal? Because they're trying to manipulate you. It's as simple as that. On June 2nd, 2024. Now, no more. What I mean is not a big deal in the context of more than normal. Any of them having their nuclear weapons and potentially using them are a big deal because that's crazy. But it's nothing's changed. The same as it is now before this ever started. On June 2nd, other, other than the U.S. government and the extremists on the ground in Ukraine creating a situation which might threaten the use of those or that might provoke him to use them. If they're acted on first, is my same point, or they move into Moscow or specifically Russia. On June 2nd, 2020, for example, Putin signed foundations of the state nuclear deterrence policy for the Russian Federation. It stated, quote, the Russian Federation reserves the right to use nuclear weapons in response to the use of nuclear weapons and other types of weapons of mass destruction against it, like chemical and so on. And in the event of aggression against the Russian Federation using conventional weapons, which threaten the existence of the state itself. Now that is milquetoast compared to what the U.S. government states in their same policy. They argue they can literally use nuclear weapons if they feel they might use them first. Talk about bellicose and crazy. But it says, according to Christensen, quote, the crippling sanctions could potentially cause Putin to conclude that the future of Russia is, if not at risk, then certainly threatened at the much more fundamental level. That is a bastardization of that whole point. First of all, crippling sanctions, I mean, they're, I, they are having an effect. 
but they're laughing at it. They are, it says it right in the next paragraph. They're going, look, these guys are not, if you think this is going to drive us to do something, you're crazy. Which speaks to the illusion that these sanctions are ever about changing their policy. It's more about hurting the civilians to push back against the government. Just like we are now under U.S. sanctions ourselves from COVID, as the analogy goes. But the point is, that is not the same thing as fundamentally threatening the existence of Russia, is it? But it says the Russian president has said as much, calling sanctions akin to declaring war, because it is. That, and that's not what he said. He hasn't said as much. That's very different. He's not saying that they're threatening him. He's simply going, doing that as an act of war, because it is. Historically, it always has been until the U.S. government bastardize the reality and pretends like it's all about freedom. It's not. You're hurting people every time they do it. You're starving people in Yemen, in, a, in Syria, in Iran, because that's what they're meant to do. A senior U.S. Air Force officer working on nuclear weapons tells Newsweek that the only weapon the intelligence community takes seriously as a threat in Ukraine is the Iskander missile. Cruise missiles shot into Ukraine are vulnerable to being shot down and artillery is too short range and unreliable, he says. Only the Iskander has assured penetration and has performed surprisingly well. You know, it's weird. We're all talking about the Toshka missile. Now we're being honest about what's really happening. The 310-mile range Iskander missile was introduced into Russian's ground forces in 2010, as we reported, beginning the process of replacing the older ones. Now, this, again, points back to the Soviet-era Toshka missiles, which they already got caught shipping into Ukraine. Wall Street Journal secretly acquired Soviet-era weapons they were shipping over to Ukraine. Nobody cares, apparently. That's false flags being set up. The Iskander has several different types of warheads, including a nuclear one. So this is where they get into this screaming about how, because they're capable of having nuclear weapons, therefore they're going to use nuclear weapons. Well, guess what? You know what they don't mention in this breathless article? That so too do all of the U.S. ones they're using too, or the ones they give to Ukraine. So too do they. Because these ones are, any general, most conventional warheads that are uh, uh, missiles today are able to be used in nuclear capacity. This is, it's just frustrating that they try to make it out to be because it can that they will. It says the use of nuclear weapons is inconceivable, but the Russians are getting more desperate. You see, that's just all, that's where they're going. Finally. Oh, and then finally was this point for you to check this out yourself to see that they have an agenda. So it wouldn't be surprising the CIA would lie about that. Now, I, I think what I'm going to do here it's ta I'm taking much longer, and it's already been an hour than I wanted to. I think, let's see. Nah, you know what? I'm just going to go through it. Just bear with me, guys, because I really want you to stay tuned for the Gonzalo Lero part. Uh, Lero part. I should have started with it, honestly, but we'll make sure that the uh, star and everybody else gets a clip out of that pretty quickly, because that's going to be an important one. But April 13th, why the term genocide matters in Ukraine war. Like, even the way that they frame that, isn't that insulting? Like, so in suggesting that it doesn't matter in other contexts? Really? Well, here's what it says. When President Joe Biden declares Russia's Ukraine war genocide, it isn't just another strong word. Okay, so implying that it is in other contexts? That it's just a word you use to manipulate people? I mean, they're basically being honest about how they conduct themselves. But this time, it's real, though. Calling a campaign that's aimed at wiping out a targeted group genocide not only increases it can oblige it to. Obligate it. That's partly because of a genocide treaty approved by the UN General Assembly after World War II, signed by the United States.
the thing that they built in Ukraine, the CIA. It's very obvious to me. So when they frame it like this, this was what they were supposed to do. But in other than their narrative saying that's what he's doing, that's not happening. Not even remotely, unless you want to pretend that the targeted group are neo-Nazis. That would make sense. But so he's committing genocide because they claim he's targeting a group, not just because he claimed he was targeting a group and not just going after people that were problematic. But it says in comments Tuesday, Biden accused Russian President Putin of trying to wipe out the idea of even being Ukrainian. You see my point? I'm just looking like we lost sound there for a minute. That's fantastic. Who knows? Oh, it looks like you guys. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know you could see me right there. Oh, and you're seeing all the light coming through too. I moved <laughs> I moved my uh, my block right there today and I forgot to put it back. Anyway, it looks like we're still good. Let's keep going. So the point is that Biden is framing it like this. To wipe out the idea of even being a Ukrainian? Like, where is that even remotely coming from? That is just simple narrative. Boris Johnson has said Russia's behavior in Ukraine doesn't look far short of genocide. Why? Because they said things have happened? Like, you have to understand that if you, none of this has been proven, and the ones they pretend are proven have already been riddled with holes and plot, that they've made things up. Bucha, the train station, all these different locations, if I'm pretty convinced, are 100% manipulated, but nonetheless are questionable from who stated them, from where the information comes from. Maxar Technology is getting caught, not even having the, the satellite in the place to be able to get the picture in the time they said they did. You're being, and, it, and they're directly tied to the CIA. The, the central point of the Bucha information came from a company that is a, a member of the CIA on their board right now. He also worked for NQTEL, the, 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 the financial arm of the CIA, that you're being manipulated, guys, and it's very clear. They're desperate to make it seem like they're the ones targeting a specific group because this goes far beyond Ukraine. But who's actually doing that? The Ukrainian government that is being controlled by CIA and the U.S. government and whoever else involved. Under the Genocide Convention, the crime is trying to destroy a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group in part or in whole. Which, by the way, is strange to me because genocide is just simply committing mass genocide against people. It doesn't have to be national, ethnic, or racial. I don't care if that's the definition or not. The word genocide is used when a lot of people are killed for arbitrary reasons, in my opinion, but that's what they're saying. So explain for me how that applies anywhere other than their narrative, because that's not what Ukraine, it's not what Russia's claiming they're doing. That's not even what they're doing on the ground. So their argument is just that they're doing that. And that's your propaganda war right there that Caitlin's talking about. Because until you prove that's happening, you're just going off what you claim his intentions are. Doesn't that seem childish to anybody else? How can you prove his intentions? How can you prove his feelings? That's silly. That includes mass killings, but also actions including forced steriliz sterilization. You mean like the COVID injections and things we've talked about before? Which, you know, that's a you know, contentious point to make. But if you think that didn't happen in regards to stuff that happened in nursing homes in the UK and around the world, you're blind. Because it very clearly was admitted. Or how about things that have happened in Israel? Or things that have happened in the Middle East? Or things that have happened in India at the hands of people tied to the U.S. agenda? My point is, you'll see, is that none of that counts because they don't want to point at it, just like Caitlin said in this tweet here. I'm going to keep referencing back to the point she makes because that's the overarching point. If you can't acknowledge the reality of these things, then you will never be understanding world events from a fact-based perspective. Now, it goes on to say, 
abuse is that inflicts serious harm or mental suffering, I mean, same thing, or wrenching, wrenching children of a targeted group away to be raised by others. Interesting. Right, that We've seen every example of these things happening on the ground in Ukraine and Donbass for eight years. Now, you could argue that the case we just discussed with those children could be that, but we haven't proven that because we don't know what's happening. The case may hang in part on Putin's own words. Really? So this is all they're floating. This is the Associated Press. They're saying their Russian forces are widely accused of carrying things out. Those would be war crimes, but do they amount to genocide? You notice the part they skipped? Evidence. Isn't that interesting? One of the leading supposed journalistic outlets that are seeding information to every other outlet, CNN, Fox News, are talking about uh, accusations of crimes and then jumping right over whether they're even proven and going, well, those would be crimes, but are they genocide? So let's wax intellectual about whether these things we can't prove are genocide. That's where we are today. It's all about intent, argues this former U.S. federal prosecutor and former special advisor to Ukraine's prosecutor general. Oh, is it only about intent? So if, if you murder a million people but don't mean to, then it's not bad? Don't you see how that's self-serving? That is what the U.S. government's doing all around the world. Oh, we're, we meant this. We're liberating them, and we accidentally murdered a million people. Oops, we're fighting for freedom, though. Even though that's not even remotely what's happening, but that's what we get sold. If you're quibbling about that right now, just look at Libya. Look at Syria. Look at Iraq. Look at all these places that are... Look at Afghanistan. If you pretend those are liberation, then you are a child. Look, Libya is destroyed and we still, put, people like Bolton pointed that as a success. So why isn't that genocide? It definitely is actually genocide. We just don't like to call it that. We call it liberation. Any attempt to determine whether the crimes committed by Russian troops in Ukraine are driven by genocidal intent must necessarily focus on the statements of Putin. That's it. So it all centers around what he says. And guess what? He's not saying any of that. They're saying that's what he means. And that's what they point at when they say what he says. That probably sounded confusing, but things like Zelensky lying and saying he threatened chemical weapons. No, he didn't. You're saying that's what he means. And then after weeks later, that just turns into he threatened chemical weapons. He did not. But here we are. And of course, he's a writer for the Atlantic Council because that's not suspicious at all. Putin long has denied any standing for Ukraine to exist as a separate nation. That's not true. Or Ukrainians as a separate people. That's not true. He cites history when Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire and later of the Soviet Union. Now, look, I could maybe there's parts I'm not seeing. Maybe he does think that. My research has shown me that's not even remotely what he's suggesting. What he's suggesting is that historically it was part of one area and that the, the splitting and the way it's gone since then has been bad for everybody. But at the end of the day, and he's even stated when this started, his intentions are not to take Ukraine, but to protect these people over here. How in the world are you going to bend and contort that into arguing they shouldn't even exist? You see what they're trying to get at? Removing a group from existing. They're trying to warp this into genocide or extremism. That They're trying to extinguish or exterminate these people. This has been an agenda that they've laid out for decades, and apparently they're too lazy to give up on it, even as we expose it in real time, even as the obvious neo-Nazi extremists, the ones that they've got for funding and arming and trying to pretend aren't like that right now. I mean, this is embarrassing. Putin and Russian state media falsely call Ukrainian leaders Nazis or drug addicts, even though they've been verifiably proven to be exactly that in some cases. In other large, obvious cases, just extremists openly supporting neo-Nazi mentalities. Putin has called his military campaign in Ukraine denazification. Like, I get, they just state that as if we should know it's not true. They don't even try to debunk it because it is true. It's obvious. 
that doesn't then mean that he's not doing bad, things, blah, 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 right? The point is that's just obvious, regardless of what else you want to talk about. It says they point to two alleged acts by Russia and Ukraine as possibly showing intent of genocide. Reports of deport, I mean, it's just this, that's what they have. Two alleged things we haven't verified of possible intent around, gen- I mean, that's child level. And an account from Ukraine's government. That's all they got. Why are we even pretending this makes sense? Embedded in the genocide convention is an obligation that the U.S. and other signers of the treaty have, tr- have treated warily. If they acknowledge a genocide is occurring, they're committed to ensure investigation and prosecution at the least. Except when the U.S. government's involved, of course, then they all run from it and pretend it's not there. U.S. leaders for decades dodged using the word genocide to avoid increasing the pressure on them to act as mass killings targeted classes of people or ethnic groups in Cambodia, which they bombed and manipulated forever, Bosnia, Iraq, plenty of different places where the U.S. government has been directly involved with and have committed genocide on the record that human rights organizations have pointed out. But we pretend like it's not real because we're not allowed to say it. Atrocities and targeted campaigns against groups continue around the world. However, and the so-called responsibility to protect is seldom invoked. Exactly the point about Yemen. Exactly the point about Palestine, which Israel's bombing right now. Nobody cares. We're not allowed to point at those ones because we're ridiculous. Or either I should say it more accurately, they're being ridiculous. I really don't believe everybody buys this stuff. I mean, it's pretty obvious that these are at the very least hypocritical. But Russia's invasion of a neighboring country and brutality against Ukraine's people have angered Americans in a way that genocidal campaigns in these other areas were not. Oh, is that the truth? Pretty sure Americans were pretty upset about what's happening in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and Libya and everywhere else. You just don't talk about it. See, that is the final manipulation. The point is, this is all about, it's only genocide when they do it, even from the Associated Press. Deadly strikes hit one-time refugee, or refuge, excuse me, in Ukraine's West. Final fight for Mariupol rages. We'll see what happens. This is the one that, that Miko was pointing out. Missile strikes on Monday killed seven people and leave. Local officials said, there we are, right back at it, right in the spin. Did you prove it? No, they said so. We didn't look at it. Nobody cares. We're going to skip past this tomorrow. We're just going to keep pointing it as a a possible without any due diligence. Where are all these people? Wouldn't there be, I I mean, look, if we have this much evidence coming out of people out of Mariupol alone, where are all the people suffering from all the things they keep pointing at? This should be everywhere. If they had it, as I always say, they would be nonstop waving in front of you. I'm actually baffled they don't just make them up right now. Just keep just pay you a lot. I think they're more worried that would come out too. My just I'm just my opinions. But all this discussion about the genocide and these strikes and the actions, and I mean, I'll get into a point right now that's gonna make you see how weird and ridiculous this is. But all of it, even if it is true, which I'm not saying I know it's not, stem back to extremists on the side of a government that is openly espousing extremist ideology, especially in these locations. But even even if that's not the case, why would we why would we go with official said? That means we don't know. That should be the headline. And by the way, that also means the officials that have already been caught lying multiple times. The Luhansk regional governor said on Monday, again, that's not the actual, this is the groups tied or controlled by Ukraine. This, the, the, all this stems from the government telling you they said so and the media reports it. The governor, this other person, announced the casualties in a Facebook post. That's, this is where it comes from. Isn't it funny how they disregard everything that's coming on social media, except when they don't want to? He types, save yourselves. I'm not even making this up. 
urging them to flee wildly because they're in danger. Guys, that is not what somebody does who is actually a leader. That causes chaos. That causes mania. That causes mayhem, which is the point. Save yourselves? I mean, come on. That, that is meant to cause chaos, which, by the way, is what we're going to get into and show you. That's what they're doing. They're lying to these people that are trapped in these areas they're using and saying, it's already over. Russia already lost. We're all going to die. You stay right there. And they all, they're scared to death. Save yourselves? Civilians have for weeks. Now, the point would be these people that believe that's happening because they're being yelled at that it's happening, who walk out later and see the things that the possible Ukraine did themselves, may go on and say, we were told they were attacking. Russia was bombing and we came out and they were dead. And that gets reported as Russia did this. But do they even know that? Or do they just were in a hole somewhere being yelled at by Ukrainian soldiers telling them to, you know, that that has already been shown to happen. Now I'm going to show you that next. Civilians have for weeks been urged to escape the eastern battle zone. But on Monday, for a second day in a row, Ukrainian officials were the very ones who did not allow it to happen. Why? Because they failed to agree on the corridors, which, by the way, has been happening from the very beginning. Let's be clear about this. It's been verifiably shown from all sides. Russia has these corridors. They're available. Ukraine does not want them to go to Russia, even though it seems that most of them want to. So you have to recognize that's about it. That is Ukraine making choices to not let it go. So you can pretend it's because they think Russia bad, but either way, what is ultimately happening, they're not allowing these people to flee. Think about that. United Nations says more than 5 million people have now fled the country. Also think about that. Where Where are these 5 million people? There's a lot of discussions about refugees in different locations, but it's very small. You know where they are? They're in Russia. They don't want you to know that, though. Since the war began, Western nations have wielded ever-tightening economic sanctions in a bid to get Putin to halt his carnage. But it's not even why they're doing that, guys. They know the sanctions do not stop them, just like they didn't stop Iran, just like they're not stopping anybody. It drives them to do more, to, to, to dig in their position. Because they've also shown that when they do concede, the sanctions don't go away. So why would they? Because that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to drive more division and more action under a guise they're trying to stop it. Classic. It says on Monday in televised remarks made during a virtual meeting with economic officials, Russian leaders scoffed at the idea that the financial punishment could force them to do anything because it's a joke. They want you to think they're doing it to stop the war when in fact the sanctions are guaranteeing that it will continue. That's the point. Just as the Russian troops are devastating Mariupol, he says, they want to wipe out another city and communities. And they're arguing that they're pointing at Donetsk and Luhansk. Zelensky said this overnight. Anybody want to laugh about how that makes no sense? That his, that apparently Russia's goal is to just wipe out other communities, even though it's not what's actually happening. On top of that, that he points at the two regions they're trying to protect. It's the entire argument of what, if, at least in part, uh, Crimea being the other part, why they're doing this. <laughs> but yet they're going to destroy those ones too. This is just nothingness. They're just saying things to scare you. Putin has signaled he, he intends to try to take the entire area. And that's what they point at. And of course, they can't do that without destroying everybody and killing everybody there. Because that's what they want you to think. No, they're about, this is about trying to take the area to protect them from the open extremists. That's at least what he's saying, by the way. And that seems to be what's happening. That's the point they keep making. A detained Putin uh, ally in Ukraine, meanwhile, seemingly hoped to leverage the fate of trapped civilians in Mariupol to get himself back to Russia. In a video posted by Ukraine's security service, an oligarch who was detained last week asked Putin and Zelensky to consider an exchange. So the SBU... An oligarch. Like, I wonder if this person's even necessarily influential. I mean, I just think it's funny how this is being framed. Zelensky declared that every delay in providing arms 
is, quote, permission for Russia to take the lives of Ukrainians. That's exactly what the, the, the presidential advisor was trying to say on that clip we showed, that they lie to you. They make you feel guilty. So Americans, if you're not sending us all your money, well, you're killing people. That should insult you. That should make you sick, especially because these are very dangerous, bad people that are saying that, and you're arming extremists when you send that money. The city's mayor and regional governor said <laughs> over and over and over, this is a different one. He's telling you, strikes over there and strikes over there. People died, children over there. This mayor said, same thing. 11 people died, one was a child on his social media platform. That's it. So he goes and posts on Twitter and we act like that's real. Could be, sure. Where's your due diligence, LA Times? Evacuations have slowed, particularly after a horrific strike earlier this month on a rail station. Yeah, the one that we've all but unequivocally shown was from Ukrainian territory. That's why they just put it down. Don't talk about it anymore. Now they just point at it like this, as if we're supposed to know, like they want you to assume that it was Russia. By the way, it's pretty unequivocal. From the different mathematical certainties to different discussions of the rockets to the, to the very serial number itself on the rocket. This was fired by the Ukrainian government framing Russia that killed lots of people, and they just don't care. Now, going forward, trying to wrap this up, this next segment pretty quickly. It says, the Ukrainian YouTubers who went from offering life hacks to documenting war crimes. Cool. So, in, you know, so these people that were talking about makeup who suddenly go, look at Russia bad. <laughs> really, someone you should listen to. Three YouTubers tell I, I guess this site's called I, iNews, how they are helping fight Russian propaganda by videoing how their lives in Ukraine have changed. I mean, just so you know, read the whole thing if you want, but that's the point. So what are they saying? Well, look at how bad it is now. Russia's terrible. Well, isn't there something missing in there? Whether or not Russia's responsible for what's happening? Whether or not, I don't mean just the invasion, I mean the actual stuff on, their gra- in the, on the ground, let's say in Mariupol. They walk outside and go, look at how destroyed it is. Look at how bad Russia is. That's what this is. It could be. But evidence seems to be the missing key piece in all of this, doesn't it? Hannah Flores started a YouTube channel a few months ago, which I find very suspicious, by the way. It was supposed to be a channel about personal development and her digital nomad lifestyle, but then war came to Ukraine. The life she once knew was destroyed. People began panic queuing outside pharmacies. Like this is all, all stuff that is just things that happen in any kind of conflict zone. Now, there's no evidence of any kind, whether or not actual atrocities or illegal actions Ignoring for the minute whether you think the war in general is justified, but what's going on on the ground is actually what's happening, that Russia did this. That's the whole point they're making here. The atrocities, the Russian invasion, and what they're, the war crimes they've committed. And no way am I suggesting they're not capable of it and haven't done it. My point is we have not seen one thing proven about whether they've committed these acts. The life she once knew was destroyed. You have no idea about whether you'll be bombed in the next hour. I was so hypervigilant about being attacked, I could not sleep, kept checking the news. Right, exactly, the news that are telling you what to think. But the news only tells you what has happened if your bomb is too late. Are we pretending this person who barely started a channel a couple months ago has the inside word on whether or not Russia did this? Like, this is crazy to me. Here's her channel. The war has started. Uh, yeah, even now it's difficult to talk about it. Mm, looks pretty well produced for somebody that's got 608 subscribers just my thoughts but regardless it's you watch it for yourself if you'd like there's nothing definitive this is just that things are bad you know they, 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 people are suffering and therefore russia did it because we know that right i'm not even making that up that's where this goes 
One of the horrors of the war has been Russia's attempts to wipe these stories from and figures from the internet. Interesting. So she's on YouTube, but apparently they're claiming that Russia is wiping them off YouTube? Anyone explain that little gem for me? In response, Ukrainian YouTubers feel more compelled than ever to share what they can. Well, they link to it. Russia's attempting to wipe these stories out. Well, let's look at what they're pointing at. Look at this. By the way, this one's behind a paywall. That's why I have to have it here. How an army of disinformation experts are working tirelessly to document Putin's war crimes. Oh, so it has nothing to do with your claim that you're linked to. (laughs) Isn't that strange? Well, all this is really about, from Mark 24th, is exposing the Kremlin's lies is all that matters to this unwavering team of UK-based disinformation experts. So this is an entire article about people in the UK that are dedicated to just challenging everything Russia says, because that's totally information, right? Not, Not mis- or disinformation, not at all. So why would you link to that and make the flagrantly unverifiable, at the very least, but I think false claim that Russia is somehow wiping things from the internet? Now, they can do that in Russia, but this is on YouTube. So they're not blocking YouTube, right? So how in the world are you going to pretend that Russia's somehow wiping things from YouTube? They're not, guys. If anyone's doing that, it's the U.S. government right now in real time. It's, in fact, actually happening. So I just find that to be so incredibly dishonest. Now, I'm going to go past the rest. Read it for yourself. The whole thing is these people see things that they're told to look at or they watch the news and they know Russia did it. And that's just, they're just using these, in, whether they're not really innocent people or just people that have been put there or whatever, but they're using them to argue that they know because they're there. No, they don't. People on the ground like Patrick Lancaster, they can see it and they can show it to you. They can report on it. They know what they're talking about. These are a bunch of people that have no idea what they're talking about or our CIA or however you want to look at it that are just saying what they're being told to say or saying what they think they're seeing and, by the way, can't prove any of it. I'm not suggesting that they're all wrong. I'm just saying at the end of the day, they can't prove any of this stuff. They're just telling you the narrative, guys. It's very easy. Oh, and here's one of them. Here's one. Of, this is from before it started, mind you, so it's not as bad as it looks. But here's one of the people they're pointing at saying, how she struggled in her fleeing from the country. Watch how this starts. Leave Kiev, and there are a couple of reasons why we are going out, and uh, we are bringing lots of bags with us. Now we are going to the parking, and by the way, our um, kind of like chat of our house, uh, they notify us that in case of any kind of invasion, bombing, if anything. Anyway, it just you know, not the way that they frame it in that article. Like, as if she's fleeing for her life and her damage, she's very clearly not too worried about it. Now, whether or not it became something like that, the point is that this is not even remotely the way they want you to think about it. Like that guy in the train, are you okay? Are you definitely scared? He's like, 420. <laughs> like, you know, they're putting their narrative on it, guys. Now, here is some context for you about what they're actually doing. And this is the advisor to Zelensky right now. The guy who openly spoke you know, lovingly about how ISIS operates and how we should be the same way. I'm not making that up, guys. That's what these people are. Now, here is what he was saying. Now, there's, oh, actually, I forgot. I'm not going to play it. I'm going to just give you the subtitles here with it on mute because for those in the podcast, it, you, the link will be in the show notes. So it's Zelensky, or excuse me, Zelensky's advisor speaking to a Ukrainian channel, or uh, I can't, it's Russian or Ukrainian channel, but either way, it says, I think that several wars until 2035 as we were talking, are guaranteed till 2032. Isn't it interesting timing? It means every two or maybe five or maybe large wars every seven or eight years. Like they're planning this. This is propaganda. He says, and only the most persistent will survive here. 
Right. Okay. So not the average, you know, meek civilian that just wants to live their life. Nope, not them. They're not allowed here. Only people, only as he says specifically, only the most persistent will survive. Now, does it sound like the kind of way that we're framing this is them protecting civilians? Not to me. And that's not what the civilians are even telling you. Those who are not ready, those who say, but how, uh, how you are going to, how to raise children, you need some, I'm sorry, it's cut off and the thing's blocking for me. You need some other countries. Here is the new Israel, he says. That's the important part for me. Only on a bigger scale and scarier. I'm not planning to move any in my family, I understand. Yeah. Mine all here. And will be here. And whoever is not ready, there is a warm Spain. There and else, uh, I don't know. There are many different tasty. Basically, saying go somewhere else if you're not ready for what we're doing. I think that's several war. Oh, it starts over. So that's. I mean, that's this guy is literally saying that we're creating a place that's a big Israel that's not for everybody. Why would? Why do? This is the extremist, supreme supremacist mentality that we're pointing at, <laughs> and they're just acting like it's Russia, even though they're not saying it, they're not doing it, they're not acting on it. Even though over here they're doing it, they're saying it, they're acting on it, and they're ignoring it. It's just narrative. They do not care about the reality because they're pushing in something that I think they're losing control of. Here it is from the Atlantic Council. Zelensky wants Ukraine to be a big Israel. I've already shown you this. Here's a roadmap. Goes off about all the some things we're talking about. Security, the way that they self-defense and the way they frame everything like the Bethlehem Doctrine. This is dangerous stuff, guys. Now, first of all, here's Richard Medhurst. Pointing out, oh, look, more clashes and violence on both sides, the way they frame this. Here's Israel beating a, a father and a son who have nothing to defend themselves, and they keep doing it over and over. Right. Note that he wasn't arrested or even charged. The point was just to hit him. That's it. That's not what a democracy does. If you want to pretend that means something today, the point here is, guys, this, this is just violence. As he puts, more clashes of violence on both sides. He's point. He's referencing the Alaska Mosque discussion we just pointed out to you, where they're just storming in, shooting and tear gas. There, that's there's no explain explanation for that. That is just violence for the sake of violence. And everything is ignored from the West because we're not allowed to point out that Israel is an openly supremacist, dangerous Zionist government. It's the truth. It has nothing to do with the idea they try to frame it as in some kind of racist, anti-Semitic concept. We're pointing at the violent crimes of a government. I've said that over and over from the very beginning, but they'll sure as hell frame me however they want, just like they frame anybody else. Here's what he really thinks. Wink, wink. That's what he means when he says that. No, it's not. But sure as hell lie about it all day long. This is my point, though, and as he point, this points out down here, video footage documents Israeli occupation forces arresting a 10-year-old Palestinian child, which happens all the time. Oh, 
Of course, then he gets taken into a tainment center where he gets abused, manipulated. Who knows? I mean, the stories are pretty damn horrific about what happens to them, both adults and children alike. But this is what it looks like in the only democracy in the Middle East, right? Now, you could argue he did something bad, which is what everybody will want to assume. He must have done something because of... How do you know that? Why would you assume that? Because that's stupid. Certainly could have. But then ask yourself why it would make sense if he did throw a rock or whatever else. Why this would be the... Why? Where are the parents? They never even engage with the parents. They just find out they got arrested and we have to wait for him to get out. This is what it looks like to live in an occupied supremacist government totalitarian regime. It's horrific, guys. But nobody cares about these. Now, for all those that are saying that I'm a racist and I'm an anti-Semitic person, well, then you're going to have to say that about the Amnesty International group that says Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, a cruel system of domination and a crime against humanity. That was February 1st, 2022. But yeah, they must be an entirely racist organization too, right? Here's... Human Rights Watch, a threshold cross, Israeli authorities and the crimes of apartheid and persecution, April 27th, 2021. Here's Beth Selim. This is apartheid, a regime of Jewish supremacy from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I would actually personally frame it as Zionist, manipulating a Jewish mentality, but you could look at it however you want. The bottom line is this is what's happening. And this is being pointed out by the human rights organizations around the world. And they just accuse them of being racist when anybody points it out. That's crazy. Now, this is the same kind of backwards mentality where we call the Russian government meant white supremacist Nazis while they're literally point while we're watching the open extremist group that they're funding from the U.S. side. I mean, it's crazy time. Here, Bonanza Media points out, is a big swastika hanging over the entrance of a call center that belongs to the oligarch Kolomoisky. Fraudsters work there posing as employees of Russian banks over the phone and scamming people for their money. Now, this is not every single Ukrainian, guys. There, it has been influenced, though, for sure, over the years. But these people, like the oligarchs Kolomoisky, who was the primary funder of Zelensky and a huge funder of the Azov Battalion, all on the record, this is the entrance to their office. Now, here is the article that I go over this on in the video. Zelensky linked to Azov Battalion. It's, it's documented. There's no denying it. That he is a... The guy bankrolled his entire campaign, right? They paid for everything. The guy is an oligarch, first of all, which is only bad, apparently, if you live in Russia, and that he is an open funder of this group right here. That is the group we're talking about. That group. It's not a secret. That's openly what they do. Not 14 years ago, not five years ago, not two years ago, right now. On their symbols, on their arms, guys. And the point is that Kolomoisky is a huge funder of that group. He's the, the, prime, the only, I think, backer of Zelensky. Okay, and this is the guy's office as they walk in. The, I mean, there's only so much you can ignore. Watch it for yourself. Now, here is more information about what these people are like. And next, we'll get into the Gonzalo discussion. Mariupol, my little girl was buried in front of the apartment in the dirt like a dog. Now, this isn't Patrick Lancaster, guys. There's plenty, and I mean endless, endless people covering this right now. And your Western press are just running from it. Hey, guys, John Mark Dugan here. I'm not going to lie. This first video clip you're going to see is not easy to watch. Um, 
the lady who lost her daughter. Unbelievably heartbreaking. She wants this video to reach her friends in America. I don't know who they are. Um, haven't been able to find them. But let's make this video go viral. No, no. Tell them to stop. Uh, oh, you know. Uh, ah, sorry. Here we go. Is he destroyed? All right. So it says, so what happened here? And this is from Mariupol. Tell me in a nutshell. Today I came from the Primorsky district. It was very tough. They were shooting at houses. Our Ukrainian defenders. Right? So she, it becomes more clear, but what she just said is the so-called Ukrainian defenders were shooting at their houses. It's pretty damn consistent across literally everybody coming out of here, guys. I mean, it just is so obvious right now. I don't know how in the world they're controlling this. I mean, they're not really. That's why I think everybody sees this. Only people that are blindly following what they're told to think are people that are taking this narrative, in my opinion. It's a pity they're so badly defended. They ruined the whole city. Ruined it. Yes, Ukraine. Every day, every day, 48 days for Morsky. In general, we were like the separate state, like a separate state, a separate piece of land. There were no supplies since February 24th. Now ask yourself, is that Russia's fault? Right? They put, now sure, there's plenty of effects from the supply lines and so on, but is it Russia's fault that the moment they pushed into Ukraine, that literally every location, even in the central Ukraine, were just shut off? Electricity, gas, water, food. They did this on purpose, guys. These people were meant to suffer to blame it on Russia. Now, that's not what I'm saying. That's what the people of Mariupol are telling you if you're actually listening. There were no supplies of water, food, anything. Until they went into Russian control and the Russian government gave them those things. Now, again, that's not what I'm thinking. That's what it shows on the many different videos. Now, yes, they could be lying about that. As I said, a thousand times over. But there's only so much you can dismiss on one side while pretending there's more on the other when there's not. You can listen to the lady that works for USAID if you'd like. But there are mean, just endless thousands of people I've seen saying the opposite. We could not escape to get here. Again, that's because they wouldn't let them. She asked if they were using human shields. Uh, the Ukrainians, the Azov Battalion, or specifically the Ukrainian military, using human shields. Here's what she says. Oh, he's translating. Holding civilians. Have you heard about that? Is it true or not? My mother lived on specific street, number 160, which again, by the way, I always point this out from Patrick's videos as well. They never do this on the Western press. You know why? Because you can confirm that. You can check with these locations, the houses, the people that live there, the names of the people they're speaking to, that you never get that much information from them. If ever, like the one I showed you where you go, oh, I'm anonymous, I don't want to show my face. Or the other guy walks out and he's like, what happened here? And he's like, I don't know, I just woke up today, I came out to look. It's like, oh, why would you talk to him then? He doesn't know what, he knows what it looks like happened. These people watched what happened. The Ukrainian army was sitting on the roof, she says. Uh, 
they made a fire there and started shooting there on their roof. The house burned down. People saved themselves. These are civilians that lost their home because they shot from their roof and burned it down. Maybe, maybe on purpose. Who knows? Either way, that is not what you're being told from the Western press. They saved themselves. Yes, there was none. None to help. We were People went to put out fires and were shot by Ukrainian snipers. Think about that. They, they set a fire in your home and you go to put it out and they shoot you. This is, this is how they set up the scene that looks like they blame, when they say Russia did all this. They just mayhem, guys. That's why all the reports are coming out about the Ukrainian, or specifically Azov Italian, getting drunk and wandering around town and raping people and robbing people. And right, This is what they're saying the Russians are doing. Why? Because that's what they're doing, leaving the scene and then pretending Russia does it. That's what we're being told from people on the ground in Mariupol. Decide for yourself about with evidence, not narrative. Russia wasn't even there, she says. We know perfectly well that there are no Russians there. We're looking forward to getting it normal there, though. What you can hear, by the way, is this is a translator. There's multiple members of press right there. She, he's speaking to the woman in the blue hat, by the way, which looks like UN, by the way. But then the point is that the other guy's like, whoa, yeah, he, you know, heard what he said. They, they, you're saying Ukrainian snipers shot them? But no matter how honest you are, this won't get reported. This will get dismissed as what Caitlin said, as Russian disinformation, without any due diligence. Do we know that? No, but we're not supposed to point at it. We all know that's true right now. Here's another person backing it up. There were five people. Five people were also there. And children were there too. Man. We run to make food, run towards the stove. Then shooting begins. We run. Lots of shooting. All right, I'm going to jump here. Oops. Here we go. Many times it was offered to Azov. They didn't let us take children out. Guys, this is exactly what I'm talking about. They held the children there. So then when you have an argument about Russia moving children, why wouldn't we factor this in? Did maybe Russia save those children and move them over to an area they controlled? But still, like I said, that still makes me very uncomfortable because of what goes on in this war, even on a, what, you may, what you may argue is a good guy side, right? You can pretend the U.S. government is protecting people in other parts of different wars, but it turns out that a lot of dangerous things happened, whether or not they meant for them to happen. But the point is, that's what they're telling you. They didn't let us take the children out. Yes, another person confirms. It wasn't even here. We had uh, people live nearby in the house. Then they left. Let me see if I can. From the very beginning of the war, I wanted they were hiding behind our homes. They said it was burnt land that he wants. Basically, you know, like they're this is them losing and destroying things on the way out. Then they can blame it on Russia. That's what they're saying, basically. Now it says, uh, there was one part in here that I forgot where it was. She mentioned that Zelensky, who's responsible for this? She mentioned that Zelensky 
in all Western countries. Macron, Biden. Who will rebuild all this for us and how much? No, wait. This is what they're guilty of. They said they will supply weapons. They supply weapons. They do not give people. We will help. So her point is simply that this is my point as well. They're not sending. They've been sending weapons from the very beginning. She says they're not sending people to help. They're sending weapons. Why does that help civilians on the ground? Because they're not caring about civilians on the ground, whether from a U.S. perspective or not, guys. That's what I mean. Just in the interest of time, I'm going to skip past this, but there's plenty more here, guys. They're just heartbreaking stuff. Heartbreaking stuff. Where a woman discusses how her child was killed, buried in front of her house. It's, it's heartbreaking. Now, this guy, actually, I'm unfamiliar with, but apparently he was, in fact, on the ground. And here is the video of that. And it says, uh, mainstream media lying. Russia, in fact, provided food, water, medical supplies to these people. Here's the proof. Hey, guys. John Mark Newman. Um, there is a narrative being pushed in the mainstream media right now that Russia is cutting off food and water uh, to starve residents of uh, Mariupol, which is a bold-faced lie. This could not be further from the truth. I know. I was there. I've seen what they are doing, and I've spoken to the people there. Now, look at that. I mean, I'm not saying because he was there that it makes his statements true, but damn well better take that more at face value than anything else that we're having from narrative from Western press. The guy was literally on the ground. Now, this doesn't mean he couldn't be influenced, paid off, manipulated, but the point is that this is something you should consider and listen to. It's right in front of you. He's showing you the video that they're handing out food. Now, that could be faked. But then what about the other thousand videos of people saying the same thing from Mariupol and so on? My point is, even that could be, but it's about weighing what's in front of you. And this guy was on the ground. The people on your CNN, Fox News, they're not. BBC, not. Unless they're embedded with the very extremists like the Oz Battalion, which we've been caught for doing, just like they did in Syria with Hayat al-Sham, because they're ridiculous. Hey, guys, John Mark Dugan. Uh, we are in Mediapol, and uh, you can see the Russian army back here distributing aid to people. Um, you won't hear about this in the mainstream media in the West, but uh, this is what they're doing because their houses have been destroyed. Um, well, you can watch more of it yourself. I mean, it just it's quite contradictory to what you're hearing, isn't it? Now, here is Patrick Lancaster. Another, this is pretty rough. Now, just a heads up, guys, I'm thinking that we're probably going to skip some of the COVID stuff today, only because this took more time. I'm probably upsetting some people when I say that, but this stuff just, it's, it's just so important about where this all goes. But let's, let's watch this really quickly. Mariupol Road of Death. Now, this, it's, not, it's graphic because of what it's showing, not because it necessarily shows a lot of blood, but just heads up, this is graphic. Patrick Lancaster, uh, right now we are on the main street uh, just outside the Illicha plants where, uh, where yesterday after it was announced it was under control by uh, Russian forces. And this main street here is just filled with bodies. One, two, three, four, uh, five, six. I have to say that it looks like this is wearing on Patrick. And of course it would. Anybody that has to be face-to-face with this kind of genocide, it's going to wear on them. 
right? I mean, I can just see it in his face in this one. And it's like, and he's, Patrick is a damn hero out there doing this and showing you what's going on because I'm sure he's in danger, right? So just support him when you can. And here's one that was clearly being eaten by an animal. Uh, We've seen a few of those today. I mean, we've seen over 100 bodies today. And... No words can't describe what's what's going on here. Uh, we're just showing you the facts of what we see. There's is still active fighting going on in Azovstal, uh, in the in the very close vicinity to it, the, that plant, and uh, Ilitra is quiet. This plant, and then there's a, another uh, area where Ukrainian uh, Azovs are. But things are changing rapidly by the minute here in Mariupol, and we're just showing you the horrible things that we uh, come across. So, so it's just, that's just, it's just really sad, you know. That the, and this is all stuff that's being just blamed on Russia with no due, due diligence, except he is proving to you that the people on the ground are telling you that's not what happened, just being ignored. Now here's where he talks to some people. Dobre, možno na din sekund? Možno pár slovo. Oh, that's interesting. I thought that was the... I guess not. Here, hold on. I thought the subtitles were on the video. It looks like it's. I had the subtitles on. So here, here's where I was going to. Same point. Hello, may I stop you for a second? Wait, he's, uh, he basically says... Uh, he, he wanted to talk to him about what happened. He says, what happened? He says, those uh, were at the plant. The DPR was knocking them out. But who knows what was flying there? He says, I mean, Azov was hiding. Azov, these effer, effing terrorists, he says. What did they do? M- M- the MFers of Poroshenko and Zelensky. It says F. <laughs> Putin is doing everything right. Certainly the losses are big. He says, Western Ukraine. Oh, see, I thought I skipped part. He says, houses, people, I feel sorry for them, but what can they do when, can they, when they commit such genocide? He's basically saying that, that even if Russia's bombing you know, these areas, like we're being told, that you know, what can they do in the face of such a genocide? So he's arguing that Azov, as we know they are, are murdering people. And so Russia's being forced to take action. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what this person is saying. He's arguing that it makes sense, even from his perspective. He says, Western Ukraine pressures, pressures the East, poses itself as a landowner. He says, F that, uh, a hero, while monuments to these people were broken. Obviously, this guy's upset. He says, uh, is it okay that the they won the war? It's okay, they tell me. Just humanly, they won the war and their monuments in Kiev are broken and they arranged a procession with these. Uh, basically, the, the argument I think he's making is the fact they're tearing down all these statues while like a- acknowledging, like basically recreating. Like this is the Ukraine, the idea of, removing the Russian history, removing the people that speak Russian. That's what I think he's talking about. He says, Putin's been watching it for so long, he was tired of it. The eight-year situation in Donbass, he's discussing. Zelensky, who is connected to America, pulled here NATO so that they stand here. Take, take us to NATO, to NATO. Obviously, these people see what's happening, right? Knowing that that would be a red line. And all this started since 2014. Now Zelensky says, okay, I give you Crimea, but you give me Donbass back. We're not hearing any of that, are we? My granddaughter lives in Crimea. I go there every three to four months. I used to go before the war. 
He says, since then, it said it, it is thriving. Putin repaired the roads. It's not just my praises, but he really is so. And when it was Ukrainian, it was rotting. It was, he says the guy was drunk when he gave it. The point basically saying that until Russia took over Crimea, it was, a, it was d- destroyed. Now, you don't have to believe him. But until you, if you're just taking one narrative over the other, you have to reflect on that. Crimea has always been Russian. Admit it. There's a song written and so on and so on. The point is, these people see what's really happening. Here he says, Putin has been watching for so long. Oh, I think I just skipped past it. Yeah, so same point. So here, that Patrick continuing to show you from the ground what's, what we're really seeing here. Here's another one. They helped us, gave us transport. They brought us an armored vehicle. We're talking. She's talking about the Russians. Here's her name, by the way, behind behind the subtitles. There was a lot of bedridden old men, women. The guys helped to load and did several runs with them. People could leave. Now there's only 15 people left. We're not leaving. My parents are still here. So I can't leave them. My mom came running today, and I'm here with two kids, two girls. 14 and 12. Hmm. There's no place to li- left to live in. We're helped by the Russian army. We don't want to hear anything about our so-called defenders who hid behind our skirts, meaning they were using them as human shields over and over and over. Who tossed people into basements by their arms and legs, old people. People tried to go back into their apartments to get some food for small children. And those were swearing at them using, excuse me, dirty words. Not from a single Chechen, DPR, Russian warrior have we heard even a rude word. They help however they can, even though it's not their responsibility. They come and ask, are you cold? Are you hungry? I mean, you get the point, guys. Now, look, I'm not seeking out only these videos. This is just what is being reported from people that are actually giving the time to speak openly on these records. That's not happening from the Western press. They're making these coordinated produced videos of very specific focal points. This is free and open, and there's plenty of other people there. UN from Patrick, to all I mean, everywhere. I mean, it's really incredible to pretend like this is not obvious. This person says, we woke up in the morning, we saw two artillery guns deployed in our neighbor's garden. At first, the troops fired forward. Then the shells started to fire to be delivered from the rear position from behind. Those Ukrainian troops that were deployed behind were firing at us. Over and over and over. Now, to get to this point, guys, which I think is really, really important. Syrian Analysis did a great report on this. Gonzalo Lira has gone missing in Ukraine. This is how you can help. Now, please watch this video. Read for yourself. Links how you can help in general. But here's what I, here's what I know what we have going so far. First of all, and then the Bonanza Media, just one of the posts I saw it on first, saying, is he missing? He's been absent for two days from social media, which is more than two days now, I think. He promised his followers to let them know he's fine every day. He was concerned himself about the SBU, and I'll show you that in a minute. Infamous Ukrainian neo-Nazi, call sign Boatsman, just tweeted this. Gonzalo Lira was most likely taken by this group. Now, of course, after that got noticed, they put their account on quiet, secret. Here it is. Restricted, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Here it is right here. 
This account doesn't. They, oh, apparently now they deleted it. Look at that, guys. From the time I started this show to now, they deleted the account. What does that tell you? So it was it was private first, then they deleted it. Guys, this is very obvious. These people are being caught in real time. I'm really worried for Gonzalo. Okay, it says he decides to protect his tweets before they deleted it just now. Here's what the tweet said. Now here, I'm going to go to this one so you can see it, uh, the full picture of it, the multiple pictures. This says, from the Twitter account of the infamous Ukrainian neo-Nazi boatsman, remember his name, he was the first group of troops to enter Bucha. Bucha, excuse me. Gonzalo Lira has most likely been taken by them. He's watching here just now, by the way. Now here, as it says, the first tweet. Thank you. First of all, the tweet says, Gonzalo has missed his interview with George Galloway today. After he was worried, this person, this is Boatsman, thank your local Kraken. Now, you know, I'm not saying that very least suggests he knows something, right? The irony of Gonzalo Lira a Chilean being caught by a guy with the call sign Chile is hilarious. What is he talking about? How do apparently they know something? Anyway, let's hope the beheading pops up on Telegram soon. Guys, these are Ukrainian soldiers. The beheading sure sounds like ISIS mentality, doesn't it? Exactly like the it, the advisor to Zelensky was openly praising. Here it says, in Salah, God willing. Let's hope this is true. What does he say? We don't know for sure if he's dead. They might still be torturing him. My God. Then he posts, if anyone knows where Gonzalo Lira is, please make a single bicep pose. At the very least, they're pretending they know something. Now, this is really alarming for multiple reasons. Here's just a single shot with all of them. Because, well, first of all, here's the boatsman himself in a video they took as the first group of militants who entered Bucha and carried out a cleansing operation from people that were accomplices of Russia. That's where the people that were killed on the ground, according to lots of people that left there, that they shot the people that were working and helping Russia. It says in this video, a militant says, look, the, look, those guys don't have blue ribbons on their arms. Can we shoot them? Yeah, it's all about freedom and protection, right? These are civilians, by the way. Yeah, we've already actually played this for you in the past. The point simply being that we're talking about him discussing, well, these people don't look like they're on our side. Can we shoot them now? Right? We've played this for you before. That's the person we're talking about, guys. And that's now he's censored his entire account. By the way, here's this discussion. If you'd like to know more about this, it's unbelievably obvious that they faked this, not the fact that it, they killed people. That's very real, but they, this is a false flag, guys. They faked this, and that's why they've kind of just quiet about a lot of these now. But here is Gonzalo Lira, March 26th. You want to learn the truth about the Zelensky regime? Google these names. People that have been, what's the term, suicided or ghosted or whatever. People that are missing that have been taken out. If you haven't heard from me in 12 hours or more, Put my name on this list. And he missed the interview with Galloway. There are great regrets and even greater sense of concern and anxiety and more uh, that I have to tell you that there is still no sign of our first guest, Gonzalo Libra. 
we spoke with him on Friday and booked this appearance this evening. He has not yet logged in. We have not been able to contact him. Over the last hours, many, many people from around the world have been messaging me saying that it is some time since they heard from Gonzalo Lira. Sometimes since he answered any personal messages. Now, some of those were prior to him answering ours, if indeed it was him that was answering. It is a matter of grave concern, close to an emergency, that this brave man, a Chilean citizen, and I hope the Chilean government is already cognizant of the fact uh, that their compatriot may be in grave danger in Kharkov, in the Ukraine. This is really concerning to me. So he, he has, he's missing. His last tweet was April 15th. Nobody can contact him, not even his interviews. Something has happened. Now, here is what we already know, guys. This is, all, this is what the Ukrainian government's already been exposed for, let alone att- attacking anybody pro-Russian on the places they pretend they're protecting. Pro- this is from March 3rd. Pro-Russian mayor of Ukrainian city reportedly killed after being kidnapped from his home. This is the New York Post. The pro-Russian mayor of Ukrainian city in the self-declared Republic of Luhansk has reportedly been killed after being kidnapped from his home. 57 years old, was the mayor of, the, of this area since 2020 suffered a gunshot wound to the heart after being abducted, according to the Ukrainian news agency. Because they're not hiding this stuff, guys. On March 1st, the wife told police he'd been kidnapped by men in camouflage. Quote, there is one less traitor in Ukraine, the mayor of Lukansk region says, right, who's not, who is Ukrainian government. He was found killed. So this is the guy speaking up, telling you one less traitor. Are we pretending like this isn't obvious? Here it is. This is his telegram channel. I translated it for you. That And don't miss who this guy is, by the way. The guy I just told you was floating the idea of the chemical attack as absolute fact. Look at that. That's the guy. This member, this is the Minister of Internal Affairs lying about chemical attacks that even the Western press won't even touch. And here's what he says. One traitor to Ukraine has become less. As the, as the Western press pretends like we don't know for sure, they murdered this guy. The former deputy, 2014, was an active supporter of the People's Republic of China. Then he left for a part, basically saying this guy is working with people we don't like, so he's gone now. Here's another example. We already told you about this one. And even though it's been exposed, they still try to pretend like we don't know all the details. Mystery, as Ukrainian diplomat called a hero after being shot for treason. March 6th. This is one of their own diplomats, guys. De- this is the death of Denis Kareev, a Ukrainian diplomat. It says Ukrainian MP... Uh, uh, Han Sherenko wrote on Telegram during an attempt to detain this person, a member of the Ukrainian negotiating delegation, the Ukrainian security service, the Yaza Battalion, shot and killed him. He was suspected of treason. They shot him in the back of the head outside of a courthouse. They admitted this openly. They said it themselves in their own channels, and yet the corporate Western media pretends like they don't know. It's funny how they love to take them at face value when they say things they want to say. The, key, the Kiev Independent reported SBU, Ukraine Security Service, who has been infiltrated by the Azov Battalion by all records, kills a member of the Ukrainian negotiations team suspected of treason. According to their sources, the man was killed during an arrest attempt. 
I mean, there's just no end to this stuff. The reports claim Ukrainian negotiators shot for treason. Officials say he died of an intel op. That's just their public story that the Western press will then float because they don't want you to know what the very people that shot him said openly on their own channels. They murdered this guy because he's not on there because they, I don't know, don't like him because they think he's working for Russia, whatever. Now, here's a tweet from Max Blumenthal. Officials across Ukraine have been terrorized by the CIA-trained SBU security services. This is Grenadi Masogra, mayor of this location, released this video appealing to Zelensky for the release of his daughter, who was kidnapped and is held hostage by agents of the SBU. Guys, this is real deal stuff, and we're pretending like it's not happening. Residents of Ukraine. I want you to hear my appeal to the President Zelensky, the Minister of the SBU and the Minister of Defense, and Commissioner for Human Rights of Ukraine. I am the mayor of this city. He's saying, I appeal to you. Our family is grieving. My daughter is missing, born in 2002. Wow. For the past 20 days, she's been with her friends in the, uh, this, this specific city. Three days ago, she was detained by the employees of the regional department of the SBU. A child. Why? Doesn't that remind you of something that we just looked at? It should. It's pretty damn exactly what we're talking about, how they claim. Where was that? Right here. Right? As they're literally saying, we're becoming a big Israel. And the advisor himself literally says that on the record. Right? That we're becoming the new Israel. And then we watch them do the exact same stuff to children without any... I mean, this is incredible. They're telling you what's happening. Lost my place. (laughs) Where are we here? Here we go. He hasn't seen her for three days. Basically, he's just trying to appeal for somebody to do something. It just makes me sick. You'll never hear about this on the Western press, guys. You just won't hear about it. Because they won't care. Like the point would be, you could argue, well, we don't know. We can't verify it, right? Well, they could try to verify it, right? They could look into it and find more details, but they won't. And they'll always end up like, we don't know, sort of like with COVID. We don't know for sure. Except when they want to report it, it doesn't matter whether they know for sure. They'll tell you that this is what somebody said. That's called hypocrisy. That's called being a hypocrite. Now, here's the one of the worst parts for me. A so-called journalist, cheered on by the corporate media, is cheering the capture of Gonzalo Lira. Sarah Ashton Cirillo, a horrible human being, reports incredible news from Kharkiv, reports that Chilean Russian spy has been captured. He is allegedly a, a Russian saboteur posing as a journalist to destroy Ukraine. Congrats to the Ukrainian security services. Hashtag I stand with Ukraine. This makes me sick. First of all, has anyone proven that this person's a Russian spy? Shouldn't that matter? Even if he is, isn't there some kind of due process? None of this even matters, guys. This is just what the Ukrainian government said, and she's telling you this is what happened. She's literally telling you they arrested this person. He's been gone. He's missing. Does anybody care? Where's the media? Where's the corporate media? 
God, this makes this is unnerving. And this person says, what did you expect from the so-called journalist embedded with the Ukraine neo-Nazis? Which is what she's literally doing. Embedded with the exact people we're talking about with their neo-Nazi symbolism and everything else we're showing you guys. Now here's the word, here's the most incredible part. This is what he was telling you. And this is Gonzalo Lira recorded before he went missing, telling you that what the Daily Beast did, which is essentially expose his name, where he was, what's going on, basically doxing him for the SBU to go after him. And now he's missing. So everybody everywhere should hold the Daily Beast accountable for what they did, opening the door to allow these terrible, dangerous extremist people to bring him wherever they did, if he's still there. And it makes me very worried for him. What the Daily Beast has done. Understand what the Daily Beast has done. And when I said, you know, in the in the title of this, that the Daily Beast wants to kill me, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm reporting the actual truth. I mean, how do you look at it any other way? How can somebody be so irresponsible and stupid and arrogant? As to think that somebody who is in a war zone, in a regime that actively targets its own people, journalists, mayors, members of its own parliament, I mean, even MMA fighters for crying out loud who say the wrong thing, how can they be so blind, so arrogant, so irresponsible as to say, oh, you know, there's this guy over there, we don't like him. No, because he says things that we don't like, that we don't agree with. And so we want you, SBU, to do our dirty work for us. You know, the author of this piece or anybody working for the Daily Beast, I'm not going to say anything intemperate. Hmm? I want to. Oh, badly. (laughs) You better believe it. But I'm not going to say anything intemperate. What I'm going to say is you are responsible if anything happens to me. I want everyone to know that the Daily Beast, as an organization, the editors and the individuals who work for it, every single one, are responsible for it. Because if in the West they are applying collective responsibility and blaming all Russians, cursing all Russians for this conflict that's going on, and if they automatically lionize every Ukraine, no matter how low, no matter how criminal, just because they happen to be in this situation, then that means that they believe in collective responsibility. Fine. You want to play that game of collective responsibility? Let's take it a step further. You, Daily Beast, as an organization, you who work for the Daily Beast, you who wrote this hit piece, and every single person who wrote, works for that organization, and no matter how humble a capacity or how highfalutin the capacity, you are responsible for me. And if something happens, I want every single person who watches this to know that it was because of the the Daily Beast who got the SBU to get me. And if you think I'm being overly dramatic, they just disappeared a TikToker, aired footage of 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 him confessing to God knows what, and they disappeared him. That's what's going on here. Know it. Know what's going on here. And know who the accomplices are. The system pigs. 
those disgusting, despicable, evil, and immoral journalists. They're the ones to blame. And that's all I've got to say. I just wanted to play that for you because, God forbid, something did happen to him. He deserves to be heard. And these, I agree, these disgusting excuses for human beings are out there driving this narrative, pushing him into the limelight because they think it's moral or don't care because they're so, their worldview is so bastardized that they think that only this is good because that's the narrative we're supposed to talk about. Only the cool kids table were allowed to push this one narrative and he's dangerous because he says something we don't like. It should make you sick. Now we're at 2.30, so unfortunately, guys, I am going to skip the, even though it's in the title, I'm going to skip this last part. I just want to focus on one last part here about the the manufacturing or manufactured supply issues. And this is just one main focal point that I want to discuss here because it's we've already gone over this extensively, and it's very obvious how this is being created. As this points out, Black Swan event, top U.S. fertilizer producer hits with rail delays to the Mideast. Now what, you're, what we're talking about here is the fact that they have created a situation in the midst of what they're telling you is a food shortage because Putin, gas hikes because Putin, they take an arbitrary choice that ensures that they will produce less in the midst of that problem, whether or not it's Putin's fault. So whose fault is that? I'm sure as hell going to, they're sure as hell going to blame it on Russia, but is it? A fertilizer supply shock is eminent for U.S. farmers, as CF Industries Holdings, Inc. warned Thursday that rail shipments of crop nutrients will be reduced to top agricultural states, which couldn't come at the worst time for the Northern Hemisphere. Spring planting season is underway. The world's largest fertilizer company said Union Pacific had hit it specifically with railroad-mandated shipping reductions that would impact nitrogen fertilizers, such as these specific kinds, urea and urea ammonium nitrate shipments to Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, and California. Why? Union Pacific told CF Industries, without advance notice, to reduce the volume of private cars on its railroad immediately. This means CF Industries had to decrease shipments by a whopping 20% to stay compliant. Now, you could argue, well, hey, maybe, maybe that's CF Industries, maybe the Union Pacific, maybe they're getting hit with stuff and they're trying to man their own. Okay, fine. I don't believe that, but I argue if that's the case and we're so concerned about food shortages, which, by the way, we should be from a governmental level, that they should be from a governmental level if they care that even a 20% reduction is going to kill people, starve to death, why wouldn't they find a way around it? Well, because they're they gonna they just they're gonna blame Putin. They want they really want it to get as bad as possible so they can say Putin did it. It's not our fault, which is pretty childish an argument when you really think about it. As well as to say, well, we knew it doesn't work anymore. We have to reimagine the future because this doesn't work. It works perfectly for them. The bottom line is, if this was a thing that was going to happen, or even if it's right now happening, there's a thousand ways they could work around this to make sure that fertilizer got to these people that needed it. It's not what's happening though. Quote, the timing of this action by Union Pacific could not come at a worse time for farmers, said Tony Will, president and chief executive officer of CF Industries. Quote, not only will fertilizer be delayed by these shipping restrictions, arbitrary, by the way, but additional fertilizer needed to complete spring applications may be unable to reach farmers at all. By placing this arbitrary restriction on just a handful of shippers, 
clearly specifically chosen, Union Pacific is jeopardizing farmers' harvests and increasing the cost of food consumers. Don't miss the most important part. Just a handful of shippers. Are you really pretending like it makes sense? They just said, well, let's just pick this one. That's going to affect all of them and their ability to produce food. Wouldn't it make sense to pick a different car or different company that wasn't as implement, wasn't as a, a, um, integral, an intri- integral part to the whole thing? I mean, that seems like a pretty selective choice that guarantees you're going to have shortages that they can then blame on Putin, doesn't it? Either way, even this company is calling it arbitrary and saying that they're just choosing arbitrarily these specific ones that are going to destroy this whole situation. I bet you none of this gets pointed out in any way to press on any side. The move is particularly problematic for the Midwest, where 90% of corn and 80% of soybeans are produced in the United States. Think about that. If you have even a 10% reduction in either of those, people will starve to death. The region in a crucial note of the global food system, and I'm not even just talking about the United States, by the way, and tightening the fertilizer supply will only drive up food prices. Now, even if that's all it does, driving up food prices will cause more food scarcity. You will see this translate to death. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic or fear-mongering. That's just the reality, guys. Farmers have been pressured by record high fertilizer and diesel costs. And don't, oh, because all Putin, right? It's Putin, Putin's price hike. Oh, but wait a minute. That started long before this got here, and the most of it happened before this even started. But who cares? Pelosi said it was Putin, so therefore it's Putin. CF Industries released an ominous warning about the lack of fertilizer across the Mideast this year and how it may cause food supply woes. The ones that we've been predicting. The ones like Christian Westbrook have been predicting for a long time. If farmers are unable to secure all the nitrogen fertilizer that they require in the current season because of supply chain disruptions, such as rail shipping restrictions arbitrary ones, the company expects yields will be lower. Quote, this will likely extend the timeline to replenish global grain stocks. So you'd see there's a lasting effect that goes way beyond just the local situation or even the national situation. Low global grain stocks continue to support high front month and forward prices for nitrogen consuming crops, which has contributed to higher food prices. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, I'm not saying this isn't something that couldn't happen or that could happen or could not happen organically. But what I'm saying is it doesn't seem that anybody cares about doing anything about it. It's like we've all just accepted this because it's easy to blame somebody over there. In response to record high fertilizer costs and tight supply, some farmers have already transitioned millions of acres from corn to soybeans this year, just because soybeans, very little fertilizer versus corn. Now, this is just my thought right there. What does that seem to lead into? Don't even bottom line, even if that's happening, you're still going to see a decrease in the overall soy production if it's 90 80%. But the point is that even the ones that can are just shifting over to soy from corn because it's, you need less fertilizer. But what does that seem to do? I would argue in a situation where you're driving in a world where there's, you know, the building of the world where no meat is consumed, that seems like a very interesting choice. Just my thought. But last month, A tweet from Douglas Carr, the founder of the business blog MarTech Zone, made the point that, quote, media isn't even warning you that a food crisis in America is emerging. I I don't know how much more clear this can be. They are making this happen in a thousand different ways, and they're not even telling you about it, despite the fact that they just go, anything you're experiencing is Putin's fault. This This is coming off of a situation that people didn't even recover from, guys. We pretend like we're just past COVID, even though that literally never stopped. The narrative slowed down at the most. Everything else kept going. 
But this destroyed people's businesses, their lives, their their ability to, to feed their families. That didn't get back to normal if it even got halfway there. And now we're just hitting them with another problem. Guys, we are going to see a massive real situation here where people are. I mean, I, again, I don't want to be hyperbolic about it, but if if I believe what this can lead to, we're talking people literally starving to death like right in front of you, not some bum that's been there the whole time, not to diminish that that's in some cases not even their fault with the way the world is today, but the fact that we're talking about people that are moments ago had entire businesses that now can't even feed themselves. This is crazy. And my point is, this is exactly what Christian Westbrook has been telling you. And I'm not talking about, you know, 50 years ago or 10 years ago, people that are just kind of chicken littles. He's been pointing at this since the beginning of COVID and before, from a logical perspective, based on real world data. And he is right. I actually just reached out to him again. Uh, it's because I had an interview with him before, right in the beginning of COVID, I think. And we talked exactly about this topic. So I'd love to get him back on to kind of come back around because in my opinion, there's nobody better to talk to on this topic than Christian Westbrook from the Ice Age Farmer. Read it for yourself. I mean, this is just the homepage, but read it for yourself. He does great work. And he has been telling you this is coming. Now, I really would like to finish this, but it's 2.37, so bear with me, guys. I apologize that I didn't get to this stuff. We are going to talk about this. I'm even going to go as far as I believe I don't have anything scheduled tomorrow. I'm going to go as far as to say that I will for sure be on the show tomorrow, and I definitely will talk about the rest of it for you guys, as well as everything else that I can add to it, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it doesn't look like I have anything scheduled tomorrow, so we will get into this. Just to quickly fly through it, guys, I want to give a shout out to this today and tomorrow. Derek Bros has posted this on his website, and he's in uh, basically... We spoke about it today, actually. I believe he's just taking part in this this multiple city tour, Crimes Against Humanity tour. You can buy tickets right on Derek's website. Conscious Event Global announces the nine-city Crimes Against Humanity tour. People like Mikovitz, Patrick Wood, Ryder Fulmick, Richard Fleming. Very important stuff. So check this out. Make sure you get involved because more and more is going to be coming like this. And, of course, just a point that I guess I can't get away from it. Army doctor reveals medics were told not to report adverse events and it got pushed aside because of it. All right. So the person who is trying to fully inform people gets pushed aside. They want you not to know what's happening and it's everywhere. Now we'll talk about the masks as we get into it. I want to give you a little bit of good news. My point was to focus on the microplastics that you are consuming when wearing these masks. The studies are finding all over the place, but end on a good note. And I don't think it's going to stand, but a federal judge ruled, and I believe in Florida, yes, in Florida, that mandates on planes, public transit are against the law, not just no longer valid, but against the law because they do not have the standing to do it. And they they called it the CDC specifically. So there is some good stuff happening. I would argue the way that the federal judge, uh, the the judicial system is supposed to work is meant to be sort of a check and balance on the whole situation. Maybe this is how it eventually at one point worked. And maybe this guy is fighting for you. I just don't believe the system works anymore. But here is a good thing, guys. It would argue, it would show me, and of course they make a big point to say, appointed by Trump, which is how they want you to see this, but this judge believes in the Constitution, and he believes that you don't have a right to, they don't have a right to force it on you, so we'll see what happens. But to end, I'll, I'm going to come back to the rest of this, to end here, guys, ex-NFL linebacker Perry Harrelson died from stroke. Coroner's office has ruled. 37-year-old. Of course, every report said died of unknown causes, and they don't ever get into it anymore, but this is the one outlet I could find that's telling you of a stroke. This 37-year-old man, sure, you can die of a stroke, of course. But why aren't we asking what else is going on when this just gets incredibly obvious? 
oh, by the way, COVID vaccine technology could now be used to create a cure for heart attacks. Isn't that great? Guess what? Damaged hearts are being regenerated using the same technology as COVID vaccines in an effort to develop the world's first cure for heart attacks. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We create heart attacks, then we use the same technology to solve those heart attacks. That's pretty counterintuitive, right? These mRNAs can be delivered directly to the heart muscle. Okay, so we're showing you in real time that the mRNA, the lipid lipid nanoparticles, the spike protein, all this stuff in their own ways are leading to heart attacks, blood clots, and strokes individually from different angles. So they're going to use that same thing that is actually causing that directly into your heart to solve the problem. That does not sound enticing to me. But you know what? I'll let you guys think on it for yourselves. The point is, the whole world is being redirected in the very direction that we told you that it was going to be. mRNA platform, biosecurity state, controlling your health. Guys, this is the point. Just one more thing that I guess we guessed at and got lucky (laughs) in the long line of things that Scott Adams pretends we all guessed at and got lucky, despite all the evidence and facts and peer-reviewed science we showed along the way. But whatever. Anyway, to to end on a mildly joking point. I'm going to leave you with a really upsetting video, of course, but the volume five outstanding videos coming out of Jay Wilderness. Now, by the way, I I think I've only played the first one. He's had three in between this, by the way. He does great job on these. Please check it out for yourself. He checks them himself. I'm going to leave you with this video because it's showing you what's happening. Under three hours, not terrible for us, but I will be getting into the microplastics more specifically and some of these more in-depth as we come back specifically as things like this documents confirm the world economic forum agenda being rather COVID being used to push it all in, but we will come back to it guys. Thank you for being here today. So much to talk about as always, but I do my best to get to it as well and thoroughly as possible. I know sometimes these go long, but I do know that most of you tend to like that. It would seem, but I I think it is better to keep them at least two hours or less. That's kind of what I've been trying to do, but in any case, it's important. Well, thank you for being here. Continue fighting. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Yeah, I don't think anyone can explain why we saw a 40% jump in code ones. And I've, I've seen that as I've traveled around the state sometimes. I'll walk into an ambulance service and they'll say, we had a 30% increase in code ones yesterday. Can't tell you why. We just had a lot of heart attacks and chest pains and trouble you know, breathing, respiratory issues. Rafa, do you know what the issue is with the, the chest? Or is it something entirely new to you? Mm. No, I don't know. Honestly, no, I...
of a probable outcome The numbers need a dance I know that the spades are the swords of a soldier I know that the clubs are weapons of war I know that diamonds need money for this art That's not the shape of my heart He may play the jack of diamonds He may lay the queen of space He may conceal a king in his hand While a memory of it fades The spades are the swords of a soldier I know that the clubs are weapons of war I know that diamonds mean money for this art But that's not the shape of my heart That's not the shape Shape of my heart 